Well, our 3D models may be deeply disturbing, but we're here to talk to you fish, aren't we, Don? Yep, back again. Yeah, it's uh, back after an interesting week. Uh, the UK has a new Prime Minister and has a new Head of State at the same time. Uh, Boris Johnson finally fucked off, and so did the Queen, I guess. Uh, that's a bit mean, but, you know, it is what it is. The, the relationship with the Queen and the British people is a bit interesting, especially for the Scots. Uh, the Irish obviously have their opinions. Uh, mm. It's been kicking off all day on social media with Irish and uh, Black British people, and just you know, Black people from across the globe chiming in on thoughts of the passing of a monarch. And it's like, yeah, it's interesting to see the different spectrums of opinions on you know the longest reigning British monarch, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, now replaced by King Charles III. So it's now God save the King for the first time in seventy years. That it's weird. I think that's the main thing I walk away thinking is. It's odd to be in a moment you know will be written down in history books. Yeah. If you just think about how often that's happened to us this year, you know, we're going to be talking about COVID and they're going to talk about the end of a 70-year 70 70-year 70 reign. My favourite, I mean, it's, it's kind of morbid to say that I'm going to have a favourite part of how this is going to go down, but you know it's just going to be absolutely amazing at Olympic events and other events to catch the one athlete that isn't quite uh, isn't quite sure how to sing the national anthem anymore. It's like God save our gracious quiet king. <laughs> I did hear that somebody uh, there were some journalists already accidentally slipping up and saying, uh, "His Majesty or Her Majesty uh, King Charles the Third. And you're like, "Wait a minute, nope, that's not how that works. You, you gotta you gotta flip it now." It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see like what happens next. Um, obviously, for the, in terms of the British public, nothing's really going to change. Um, all the, really. the monarchs really know these days to keep their heads down and stay at the news, because otherwise, like the British public, just don't have time for their bullshit. It's kind of hard to take them seriously when you know you're struggling to pay your lecky bills and they're just, um, you know, they're they're swanning around in gold carriages, going to private events on private jets, saying, "Oh yes, climate change is horrible." It's like you took a private jet to say that, mate. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like that during the the COP. What was it? COP twenty six. Yeah. Joe Biden coming out and saying, "Oh yeah, climate change is a is a worldwide issue." Then he takes a motorcade of something like thirty two cars, <laughs> thirty two cars to get, uh, uh, to get out, to Glasgow out the back of an armor plated Boeing seven four seven called the Air Force One to, to come and visit the UK. And you're like, mm, "Buddy, not the look, not the look at all." Fly American, I guess. Um, yeah, fly the friendly skies with Joe, Uncle Joe, <laughs> crazy Uncle Joe's crazy car rides. Not again, Joe. Please don't. <laughs> I, I I wonder what the next... Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you, you wonder what the next couple of years are going to be like. And then, yeah, the upcoming elections for America. I think we have one due in like another 18 months, I want to say. I make it, Actually, maybe 2024 before we get our election. But yeah, we've got upcoming stuff. We'll have head of state and stuff like that. But just I do wonder what the next couple... Hmm, interesting. I say, like, this is, uh, this is one of those times you know you're, you're living in his, historical moments. And it's it's interesting to be a part of it, and actually to get to record your thoughts. And you know, I've encouraged my brothers to do that and say, "Hey, look, you're in a point that think people will ask questions about this time in our lives. Maybe take some notes because we'll have to explain stuff to the kids in the future." And no, no, no. Once upon a time, they lived the queen, <laughs> and no, that's not why we say "yas queen" to everything. Yeah. What's the what's the potential? that in the future when we talk about the Queen, people are going to automatically assume, oh, that old English act actor. Like, oh, Judy Dench or something. <laughs> no, we mean Queen Elizabeth II, not, you know, who we call the Queen. 
Ooh, that's interesting. I wonder if they would actually cast someone to play her. Obviously, you've got to wait a little while to be respectful. You know, don't yeah. don't make the autobiography now. But someone has now put pen to paper on a on a on an autobiographical movie of some kind for the Queen. So I wonder who you would cast for that right now. Because I'm sure they, they do stuff uh, in the Crown. I think they've gotten up to uh, that part. Obviously, they're, they're at a relatively recent age because I think they had Princess Diana in there. Yeah, I think so. Or oh, she had her own film. I don't really know. Yeah, they had a film with her. Uh, who was it again? Was it Kirsten Stewart? I think was playing Princess yeah. Diana. Yeah. Nobody watched that. <laughs> there are so many films that come out, and it's like, I didn't see that one. I don't know anybody who did. I'm not gonna go out my way to find it. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna waste my time trying to figure out what the Diana film was all about. Yeah, well, I need to figure out what it's all about. <laughs> Yeah, we, we know how that one ends. Uh, yeah. it, abruptly in Paris. Speaking of movies... It's a brick wall at some point. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of movies, you and I actually got to see a film together, which is the first time that's happened in, I mean, even before COVID. I think the last film we might have both seen together would maybe be one of the Force Star Awakens, Wars films. I think. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, Force Awakens, yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Is it the Hippodrome in Bonnes? That's how fucking long ago that was. <laughs> The original Hippodrome back in the day, but yeah. it was before the remodel. Um, but you and I went to see Dragon Ball Superhero or Dragon Ball Super Superhero. I yeah, mistyped that. So yeah, that's this is uh, the first Dragon Ball Super movie in I guess like the last couple of years. The last one was Broly. That'd be twenty nineteen. Yeah, it's been uh, a while. Yeah, and this is uh, this is interesting. It's the the first one to be done in three D, and I thought three D looked pretty good. Yeah, it you. wasn't a. Blaringly, obviously, if you take... I'll take the worst example of 3D anime being the Berserk remake, or the Berserk continuation in 2016 and 17. Mm-hmm. You could tell that they tried too hard with the, the 3D animation, and it didn't really work. In Superhero, it doesn't really take you out of it at any point. Obviously, there's a couple points when they're fighting that could look a bit smoother, but overall, you just think, I couldn't really tell that this was 3D graphics and the way that it's done and how smooth everything is. Yeah. Pretty good. There were points you were saying, uh, you're like, oh no, they, they did that part in 2D and that part in 3D, and I'm like, no, that was all 3D. I think it's just they have figured out how to make the model stand and look so that you get that kind of 2D feel of certain things to yeah. take it back to the original style, or to take it closer to the original style. But I'd say the uh, the 3D all the way is, it was a different tone shift, and it did kind of, uh, it does kind of stick with you for a little bit, and it's a bit jarring. I, I don't think it helps that, that the intro scene is kind of weak. Uh, that kind of long drive with the the, the villain and uh, the new doctor, uh, the, the son of the Dr. Juro, or the grandson of Dr. Juro. Dr. Haddo or something like that? Yeah, Dr. Haddo. Um, he was, that was, I, I gotta say, that was a bad intro scene. It really kind of had me worried. I'm like, oh no, what did we sign up yeah. for? There's like another 70 minutes. <laughs> but it's after that, it jumps straight into um, a lot of what I'd call the core, like, the heart of the movie, because I think the heart of the movie is Pickle's relationship with Gohan and his family. And I'd say that that was... Dr. That was Hedo, great. not Hado. Hedo. Right, yeah. okay, yeah. But the majority of this film is spent with either Piccolo or Gohan's family. Um, there are scenes of Goku, Vegeta, and uh, Beerus, Whis. <laughs> I swear blind, Whis broke the fourth wall. Yeah, there's a few times where he stares directly at camera, and it was... It was pretty funny. 
Yeah, it works. If there was a character in that universe who could break the fourth wall and get away with it, it would be the, the servant of the god of destruction. <laughs> yeah. Who is equally terrifying. I find him more terrifying than uh, Beerus, for some reason. I don't know yeah. why. I think it's because we grew up in that kind of the Yoda era when it's just there's a seemingly uh, distracting character who's actually one of the strongest beings in the planet or in the galaxy. You just kind of think, okay, don't fuck with this guy because you don't know how many ways he could disassemble you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the thing of, like, oh, it's a teddy bear. And you're like, no, 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 it's still a bear. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like the uh, the scenes of them training. Again. They're, they're always fun um, just because you have that the classic uh, Vegeta Goku rivalry. And having those two paired up is always good comedy. And then you have an extra new cast forming around uh, Whis and Beerus. Interesting that um, we get the cast or the little extra characters from the Broly movie. They're still kicking around. Yeah. And I think they, they're keeping them around as well. Yeah. Because we're keeping Broly as well. He's hanging out with those guys as well. And he's training with them. And even he's seen as a threat at some points. Like, he's yeah. noticed as a threat by the Lord of Destruction. You're like, oh, okay, you've got a god kind of like a bit wary. That's an interesting. Uh, addition to the lore. Yeah. I thought it was quite funny when Beers was like, what, you brought that ticking time bomb here? <laughs> we know this is going to go wrong. But I think it'd be interesting. I'd love to see how we get the, um, that kind of, uh, that character dynamic, like how you sort out a character who's such a monster and it could all go horribly wrong. Like, how do, how do Saiyans handle that, you know? Um, is there something there that Saiyans can do, you know, as Saiyans, or is it something that it needs to be, you know, we need Broly to be fixed somehow, or do you keep Broly as an absolute madman? It's kind of like the ace in the hole. Like you just kind of, hey, buddy, I'm going to need you to absolutely lose your shit right now. But you, are you saying that they literally go full Hulk on him and just pull the pin and throw him? Yeah. Just aim him somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could work, yeah. I, I mean, I think... if, if I needed some kind of ace in the hole, like, absolutely fuck it, we're not, we, need, we can't win this one, we're just going to have to go nuclear and try and run away as fast as we can. Dropping a Broly in there? would be a pretty good way of solving many, many problems. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, Gohan and Broly being trained by Goku and Vegeta, which I think would be pretty fucking cool. Because, mm. as we'll get to when we're talking about this, Gohan kind of goes through some big changes in superhero, and Broly is just quite literally this nuclear bomb waiting to be pissed off True. and explode and kill many people. I did like the uh, the new characters, so say Dr. Hedo, not... <laughs> Not Hado, Hado, Hedo. Um, yeah. Gamma 1 and 2, I thought they were interesting. Uh, I like the idea yeah, that I've... someone inspired by superheroes makes superheroes in a lab, and it doesn't quite work out as well as they thought they did. Actually, they were kind of a highlight of the, the, uh, the film for me, because they they were obviously they were good characters in the sense that, you know, they, they literally kicked Piccolo back into training and realised, holy shit, right, they're not always going to be here, we need to do something about it. But they actually kind of did enough within the story to kind of grow a bit. So they weren't just kind of like one-dimensional villains that came in and go, ah, we will beat you, Piccolo. No, they actually went through a wee bit of character growth. Yeah, the, the dilemma that they're faced with when they realise that they've been lied to, basically. Um, that all the characters, because there there's maybe one villain or one villain and his pet monster, and then everyone else is not, an, it's not a villain, but an antagonist. They're just someone who's kind of in the way, and then things that kind of resolved in everybody kind of rallies back together to fight the big bad, which uh, I guess we'll just go straight into the spoiler. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, we have, uh, obviously we have uh, the main force being Gohan and Pickle. Uh, Goku and Vegeta are on, uh, on a, on a, uncontactable, I guess, um, just because somebody put an ice cream tub over the top of Beerus' staff, so no one, he can't see that he's being phoned. Apparently he left his staff on vibrate. Yeah, he's, he's not picking up. 
um, that leaves us with you know Earth's smaller defenders uh, showing up to try and save things. So interesting enough, Tien's not there. I didn't. Yeah. Tien Jatsu not show up. Yeah, Tien or Yamcha. What was Yamcha there? Uh, no, he wasn't. They, no, he wasn't. They there. were not there. It was quite literally Krillin, Android 18, Goten and Trunks for what was quite frankly probably the most useless cameo. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, they did the fusion and they did it wrong, which I, I find I always find funny that that's a gag that you can do this technique wrong and it still kind of it goes off, but it goes off imperfectly. So you get fat Gotenks or incredibly skinny Gotenks, depending on like whose finger was on top of whose. Yeah. I don't know, like, why, like, where does that fat come from? It always, like, cracks me up. It's like, wait, how do you get that fat? This <laughs> um, mass comes out of nowhere. Yeah, two jacked guys do a fusion dance together, become massively obese, massively obese, and you're like, how, how, who, what? <laughs> it's a, it's a weird gag. Actually, I will say this, this uh, film is actually quite funny, in terms of, like, it's going for jokes, even if you don't find them funny, they're definitely going for more jokes about, you know, uh, obviously, Piccolo spending a lot of time uh, in a mask or undercover, trying to sneak into an enemy base, knocking people out, and kind of fake James Bonding around the place. I, I thought it was interesting because obviously we we haven't had that level. Of, Z doesn't really have that much of that, but having watched the original Dragon Ball now, I see a lot more of that humor that Toriyama has, and a lot of people yeah. really enjoy the humor. So it's interesting actually. See. One thing I, I I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I definitely noticed that as the film hit its uh, climax, there was definitely more of a a story to this one, if you know what I mean. It, there was, it felt more like a film, whereas the other ones, it's just kind of a couple of things happened to get you to the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a this definite... one had a bit more of a story progression. Like Piccolo had to go and do some detective work and figure out what was going wrong and realize yeah. that he's uh, trying to do the kind of asset management side of things. You know, I... okay, what, do, what, do I ha- what do I have to try and fight off this evil force? Because I yeah. don't have the go to, which is Goku and Vegeta. We don't need them, and that's the best thing about this movie is we don't end up with the finishing wall being Goku with a Kamehameha. Like fucking hell! <laughs> that yeah, is... I think that's the first time in at least three films, but yeah. infinitely more Dragon Ball and uh, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super sagas that the final blow hasn't been d- delivered by Goku with a Kamehameha. I was about to say even a fusion, but no, it's always still a Kamehameha. Yeah. It's it's a nice little change, and if you've been watching Dragon Ball for as long as we have, because I, I explained to someone, oh, I'm going to watch this movie. Yeah, it's been going on for about 40 years, uh, this series, and we've been watching it for close to 20 now. Yeah, I'd say about yeah. 23-odd years or something. It came out in 1998, 1999. I mean, we've been watching it on that since about 2005, since it, when it came yeah, out in anime. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we're about 15-20 years almost of this franchise, and it's just it's great that we can still get new stuff out here and we, we just, it, it felt a bit fancy ever at points, like it does it does give you that kind of thing of, we know you want to see a, a good happy Gohan ending uh, rather than just a, a, a we got the, the Vegeta uh, shot after the credits as well uh, that Vegeta gets a little win against Goku Yeah, he, he wins the, the fight, which I like to think has been going on while Gohan and Piccolo are taking care of the Red Ribbon Army Goku yeah. and Vegeta were just continuously fighting on uh, Beerus's planet. <laughs> There's an old gag about that in uh, Star Trek Atlantis that they've uh, uh, Teal'c shows up for an episode and he's the, the warrior from SG-1, like Stargate uh, 1, and then you mm-hmm. have him facing off against uh, Ronan, who is played by Aquaman. His name? Uh, Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa, yeah. And they have, a, they have a, a scene, they have an episode with them together, and 
at one point, people they walk into the gym, and those two have been fighting, and there's like bets going on. There's like a, a big like kind of uh, like underground street fight vibe to the whole uh, shot, and it's them, and they're like, "What the fuck's been going on? Like, how long have these two been going at it?" They're like, "About seven hours." <laughs> <laughs> They've been beating the shit out of each other for seven hours, and they just won't stop. And you're like, that is awesome. <laughs> just that constant meathead battle that I, you could definitely expect that from Goku and uh, Vegeta would just not let that slide. He would just have to walk away from a fight like that. That they would just spend several hours just beating the shit out. I didn't appreciate though the time scale of this movie. I didn't realize that once the androids attack, uh, or once Gamma attacks, that's down to what like it's twenty four hours. Like that, the whole movie after that is. Not quite real time, but close. Mm. Because I thought he'd be he'd spend ages walking or flying around, but no, they explain no, no, you like this only happened this morning. Like they're all taking this one beating from the start of the day to the. Um, but yeah, we, we talked a lot about uh, pickles in there. Um, he I'll say there's a lot of uh, the disagreement between him and Gohan about the fact that Gohan decided to go and build a career outside of fighting, which is kind of what his mom always wanted for him, and I guess he's kind of always wanted to. I don't remember if it's actually part of the main lore or if it's part of. I rewatched the Team Four Star, uh, like their final ten episodes, because mm-hmm. it's, it's great. That seeing that become as good as it was was fan fucking tastic. Like one of the things, glad I saw it as it happened. But um, watching the their rewatch podcast, the rewatch streams, and them talking about how bad they think the original series is, and then cutting to the end, it's just it's good to see that they finally figured it out. Yeah, I mean, spend like eight years of your life making it. You, hope they'd get as good as they got yeah makes you wonder um i i don't remember if they, they said this but i think there was a thing that gohan doesn't always want to fight like he does want to enjoy the world for something other than like a place to kick people and i can't remember if that's from the original kind of lore or if it's from the 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 like the team four star fan parody where obviously they wanted more for gohan out of it in the end i thought that was always the thing he never really wanted to fight Mm-hmm. And this this whole hidden power thing was just a kind of, uh, like he wanted to keep his power under wraps. He never wanted to fight. That was that was his dad's thing. He just wanted to. He was a kid. He was five when he started training. Mm. No, he was three years old when he was kidnapped by Piccolo. And then by the time he finished his training, he was five. So he he never really wanted to fight. He was a child. They wanted to just. You know, fuck around and throw apples at dinosaurs, which exist in his universe. <laughs> and the the king's a dog, and we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about anything. Enough. His grandfather is called the Ox King. Gohan was never going to have a normal childhood. <laughs> it's um Gohan getting to do his own little career and becoming a bit kind of pencil dewy, like kind of he's not who he used to be. And you're like, oh, it's kind of nice that he got away from it all. Um, but obviously, it keeps they keep bringing him back in because you know he is insanely powerful. He works, you know, very well in that universe. He is a natural fighter. He can't help it. When he steps yeah. into the, the arena, he needs to win. You know, okay, uh, feel bad for the kid. But there's a lot of yeah. like the, the the issue of him wanting to be a parent and the whole the thing of fatherhood. Like the theme of fatherhood is strong in this movie because there's a lot of that with pickle and pan. Mm. And uh, you have a lot of stuff about you know the, the saying fathers Goku and Vegeta are just kind of not being great dads. Like being you know, a running gag that uh, Goku's never been a great dad, and we assume Vegeta just isn't a good dad because they'll just disappear to train for months on end and just don't appreciate their kids the way that you know you would expect them to. But I I do like that it's there, like the idea that there are fathers in that universe trying. Like, you know, Piccolo wants to train people so they're strong enough to fight for themselves, so that he doesn't have to save them all the time, or so he doesn't have to be there all the time. They can. 
stand on their own. He has a a reason for that. And you're like, okay, that's that's nice. Um, but it's it's interesting that you have different interpretations of uh, how to be a father. And it does uh it does pay off with at the end. I mean the the final attack, the whole the whole fight sequence with uh, Mega Cell, I think is the the term they use for him. Cell uh, Max. Cell Max, right? Yeah. Uh, for some reason, so Cell Max instead is an interesting opponent. In fact, let's give him his real name. It's Kaiju Cell. Kaiju Cell, yeah, because it's... his real name Cell Max. But but there's certain points where he's a kaiju. He's fully Shin Godzilla and the shit out of that film. Yeah, there's there's actually it feels like a reference to oh what was the there was a Dragon Ball movie about a giant monster uh that was smashing apart cities in the future. I think that was called Wrath of the Dragon. That was with Herudagorn. Herudagorn, yeah, that's the one. And I felt like it was a bit they were kind of pushing it to that. It wasn't going as far as that, but it was kind yeah. of getting there. Like I would love to see proper like if they redid the Herudagorn movie, I'd say that might be the one I'd I'd like to watch. You know, if they were going to pick one of those old movies from back in the day and remaster it for now, but oh, that one, would, that one would be up there for me. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, choice of an enemy because it's not Perfect Cell, who was this kind of like sneering, evil, um, monologuing villain that was he was definitely in charge of the entire show for like a solid chunk of it. Like once the androids are kind of dealt with, he's the main opponent. And he's so much more terrifying than anything that came before because, I mean. Frieza's kind of like a violent racist, but then you have um, Cell, who is just a monster, but it seems to have some kind of plan going on, and it's just like, okay, I will end all life on Earth, and you watch it, and you're like, he might actually be able to pull that one off. Yeah. Yeah, and he likes to torment his uh, his victims as well, and I'm like, that's an interesting twist that we didn't really have before for Dragon Ball Z, or like in a, a kid's show. Um, like, you know, how Dragon Ball is. There's nobody in there that's kind of vindictive, but I would apply that definitely to Cell. Yeah, definitely perfect Cell. He was kind of that, definitely fighting Gohan towards the end. He was kind of out to humiliate Gohan at some at certain points. Mm-hmm. And when he's when he threw out the the Cell Juniors, you can tell us that, right, I know you're, you can be a challenge to me, and I'm going to, you know, make you, I'm going to make you regret stepping up to me, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm going to push you to the very edge of what I'd call, you know, your limits of uh, what we're willing to actually endure here and just take things too far in a certain sense. And I do like that he was setting that up. And it, it did remind me a lot of the whole thing of, like, cells are a combination of different DNA from different fighters. And I think it's all the Z fighters. I think Frieza? Because Frieza was Yeah, Frieza, so he can survive in space. And, uh, like, Piccolo, I think it's mainly Piccolo, Goku, and Frieza all kind of smashed together to make him. Yeah, and it ends up, um, you know, there's there's that thing of, um, like, he has a bit of arrogance about him, and somebody's, I think someone pointed out that it might be, like, the same bread, and it might be a bit of Vegeta in there. Because he would have grabbed DNA from Vegeta, because at one point, Vegeta was the strongest thing on the planet as well. So yeah. it stands to reason that we grab something from him as well, and it might be a little bit of Vegeta's arrogance in there that makes him a bit more uh, of a torturer than a, a straight-up, you know, fighter. Yeah. But having it be an imperfect version of that, where it's, it's based on Cell 2, which is, uh, apparently I think it might be Toriyama's favourite design for Cell, which is interesting. Yeah, I remember, I remember reading that somewhere that he preferred uh, Imperfect Cell. Which, it, it's a good design, I like it. Um, and I, I guess it would scale better, having the weird bug mouth and stuff like that, like it doesn't look the same as uh, Perfect Cell, and obviously having it be a giant human face might be a bit odd, might not work very well, might seem a bit cheap. Whereas if you have the yeah. weird monster face of Imperfect Cell, that's that's interesting. 
that fits more yeah. with the idea of him being the size of a skyscraper. Yeah, you can kind of sell it a bit more as this thing is an absolute monster if he, you know, can't speak. If he sounds like Handsome Jack from Borderlands, he can't really sell that as a, an out-and-out villain. Yeah. Or an out-and-out monster. I was say, like, villain might be the wrong term. I think monster might be the right term yeah. for uh, Perfect, or for Cell Max. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the fight with them is really good. I think that's where the majority of the 3D in this is, uh, like, very obvious stuff that you would... If you watch enough 3D anime, it always comes into fast-moving cameras and then big, like, orbiting shots that have multiple, like, tracking all the way through um, different, like, fight scenes. That's how they basically all turn out in the end. And, uh, yeah, they use it effectively. It's, you know, Dragon Ball Z is a franchise that really suits that type of fight because, obviously, things are airborne. It's a lot of, uh, like, martial arts up close to and followed by big laser beams and stuff like that. Like, it's using a three-dimensional camera that moves through the space actually works very well in this franchise so i can see why they went with it as as a way of looking forward in the franchise i don't i don't think a 3d dragon ball franchise would be a bad idea i think it works if they give it the same amount of you know kind of caring attention as they did to superhero it could probably work but i don't know if it's just me being a bit cynical because of previous 3d anime attempts but i mean you think they're right so there you go if they did it right, I would have no objections. I mean, we talked about Berserk being the example of a bad um, anime in 3D, but th- that's not even the worst that's out there. I can, I'll can, i find some clips for you. There's some bad shit out there. I cannot remember which one, what the exact name is right now, but I know there's one that's... Uh, it was a, it, the, the scene they had was a guy like trying to flip stuff in a pan like stir-fry, <laughs> and it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. I'll get you the clip. Uh, it's really funny, but I mean, this this is definitely not having any of those issues. There are points where it's kind of a bit odd. Um, I say it like the opening intro, the opening scene is kind of bad for it. I I don't like the way that looks, but they stop doing that. They stop being outside and doing weird camera shots for no reason. I think there was one shot that's just it's on top of the car, like you're looking down on the car, which is a hover car, which is interesting. Um, but at the same time, like it's um, it it just looks very flat and bland and uninteresting, and you're like. This this is ending up in the cinema, somehow. Like this this shot is in. The... We actually did this with the English dub, which was quite good. Yeah, I think we we both kind of made a decision. If I'm going to go and see a film in a in a cinema, I don't want to have to sit through. I mean, no disrespect to the Japanese voice actors; they've been doing it for longer than we've been alive. But I am so used to the English dub that the Japanese just sounds kind of weird to me. Yeah, was... I'm not a fan of. You know, no disrespect again to Masako Nozawa, but not a magic fan of, not a massive fan of our Goku voice. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to step away from like the, the franchise that we've been listening to in English for so long and say, no, I want to listen to the Japanese. Um, and it's just we're so used to it. And I was interested because obviously Funimation collapsed, or it was sold into Crunchyroll, and obviously that fran like the Funimation stuff is being shut down and moved over to the Crunchyroll app and stuff like that. So I was interested to see if the, the cast would remain the same, but it did. Um, the obvious uh, casting uh, exception being Vic Mignana is no longer Broly, it's now uh, Sonny Young Bosch. Yeah, Johnny Young Bosch took over from Vic Mignana. I can't remember his name, Vic Mignana. Yeah. Who, by the way, has uh, lost his appeal. Um, I don't know if we talked about that the last time. But yeah, uh, yeah. But we, we talked about this like years ago that we were going to try and follow that case, we didn't. In it. When, we, when I was following it, it became so legally convoluted and down to, like, we were just waiting for a judge's opinions. We, I think we were waiting for over six months for the judge's opinion on the appeal. 
um, in Texas, just because obviously everything's been going on over there, uh, you know, elections and all that. Um, yep. Things have been a bit busy in Texas courthouses right now. And uh, even with that being a case, it was ruled on, I think, 2021 or towards the end of 2021. Um, getting the appeal in took a while, and then actually doing the, the, the review of the appeal took forever for some reason. So, um, yeah, he lost his appeal, so he's definitely not working with Funimation anymore. Um, I'd be interested to see. Actually, I was thinking that the cast members talked about, like, uh, you don't see TN. I was wondering if we'd get Jacko back as well. But I don't think he. No, he wasn't there. But I think he's a big part of what comes next in Dragon Ball Super's manga, so hopefully he comes back. Yeah, he's uh, in the Galactic Prisoner arc. He is a huge, huge part of it, so they, they need him to come back in some way. That's good. I like Todd Habercorn, so having him come back yeah. in the, the franchise would be good. But yeah, just, I'm thinking of all the other voice actors, but everyone else is the standard Dragon Ball cast. Um, there's not actually, with the exception of all the uh, the new villains and stuff, or the new uh, villains and then would-be heroes, um, they are actually, there's not a lot really changed in terms of casting. So it's good to see the gang back together again and going into the cinema and watching it all there is, there's just something about anime and cinema that's a lot of fun. And if you're an anime fan, just go see it in the cinema at some point. doesn't matter really what the film is. Um, I think 2022 and 2023 There'll be a lot of really good uh, anime films coming out. Um, I'm waiting for Makoto Shinkai's film to appear, I think, at some point at 2023. Um, I can't wait to go see that. But, like, again, like I go and enjoy anime uh, film festivals and stuff like that. So, like, I, I can't wait for that. That's actually in October. So. Yeah. I think it, this was my first anime film in a cinema. Uh, just purely because I'm that ingratiated into the if I'm going to the cinema, it's a Marvel film or it's it's some kind of live action thing. And just given where we are in Scotland, anime films don't usually hit uh, cinemas when I'm you know, going to go and see them or when I'm going to the cinema. They kind of hit every October for a couple of weeks to fe- festivals like Scotland Loves Anime, but not that many. But going to see superhero in a cinema was definitely a good experience. Yeah. Even if it was a tiny, tiny cinema that we were in. It was it was on um one thing we're talking about big changes happening in the UK. Uh, Cineworld might be going under. Um, I think it's still going into administration now. Um, but that's like the biggest. That was the big cinema up the road for us was a Cineworld multiplex, and it was obviously yeah. the Hippodrome. But that was out of use when we were kids, and it's only just been re- renewed. And we we can go down there and see some films, but they're not going to show anime films. There's you know there's no money in it for them. And uh, no. in bonus, although. I've been uh, I've notes on that, but I'll, I'll leave it out of the podcast for now, because um, I'm still working on theories as to what's going on with anime in Scotland, because it's getting a lot bigger, and you're talking mm-hmm. about films don't really come through. I actually think it's starting to change. I think we're seeing a lot more of stuff like anime films appearing in Scottish cinemas because I think the community is starting to push it a lot more, and there's a lot more going on. It's it's, it's fun. It's an interesting time to be an anime fan in Scotland, and it's it's getting mm-hmm. more involved. And, but yeah, I, I think that we went to the Odeon. Which is a new one for me. Um, interesting cinema because it start you, know, you go in the front door, and you immediately go underground. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a it's a very rare experience in Edinburgh to go underground. That's not an underground place. Well, actually, I, I disagree with you on that one. Uh, I've been to several several pubs, so many pubs you wouldn't fucking believe in Edinburgh, where you go in and the what you'd assume it would be the ground floor is just a coat check, and then you go down to the actual pub itself 
Oh, the pubs are underground. It makes uh, that makes for an yeah. interesting evening when you go under. When you go down the stairs into a pub. You're like, oh, interesting. Yeah, trying to navigate stairs with a couple of drinks in you is not a great thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the worst. It's always the sharpest stairs as well. Like they're always up at like a forty-five to sixty-degree angle, and it's you got to really push yourself up those stairs. Hard to do when you're pissed. <laughs> yeah, and the banners, the the banners, the banisters become you know essential. <laughs> the death grip I have on those going up and down the pubs is like, oh my god. <laughs> when you have to go downstairs to take a piss as well, oh my god. Yeah, and it's always like most pubs are underground in Edinburgh, but toilets seem to go further into the earth's core. <laughs> There's a Burnison sketch of a guy going to Witherspoons and then he goes to the toilet and he he goes down so far he meets the devil and the devil says, No, you need to go further to get to the toilets. It's uh, it was an interesting place to go, and seeing that Cineworld is shutting down, and you know, I don't know how it's happening because, but we go at the Odeon, and it's like okay, it's ten quid a ticket, and there was six of us there. I think it might be the second smallest screening I've had. Uh, smallest screen, I think for me was like four or five people when I went to see like Jojo Rabbit on a Tuesday at like two in the afternoon. And I was like, oh, okay, there's nobody here. I guess I'll just have the cinema myself. But yeah, having only six people there is a bit of a letdown. If you can go, um into like a, a big packed anime theatre. It's a lot of fun because it's just a lot of people just geeking out together. It's got that convention feel, including the video. Yeah. I can appreciate that. I, I, I 100% get that you can kind of bounce off people. If people are getting into the film, it can, you know, get you a bit more hype for it. But as someone who's been to a few anime conventions and as someone who is, you know, strongly, strongly for deodorant at conventions, I don't think I'd be able to sit through an entire film if it's a certain type of anime fan. Yeah. <laughs> Those Smash Bros playing motherfuckers that just seem to be allergic to deodorant. I believe in anime they're referred to as Naruto fans. Come at me, bros. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> you'll, you'll see them from a mile away because they'll be ninja running <laughs> in plain sight. That happened in something and I was like, oh my god, they did the Naruto run. <laughs> I was fucking livid. It was in some show, somebody did a Naruto run. I'm like, no, they did not just do that. <laughs> Because it was like a, it was a... What the hell was it? I can't remember the life of me, but there was somebody that did an hour to run. I'm like, no, why'd you do that? <laughs> you cringy little weeb. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the the finale for this movie, like, sitting there, I just... I felt like those chairs are so shit in the audience cinemas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there, my ass is going numb, and I'm like, this cost ten quid. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the seats were that shit that we couldn't even sit next to each other. We had to set a chair in between us. Yeah, me, the, the me and Gordon had to take separate like uh, put gaps between us because like we're all oh fairly sizable lads, and uh, yeah. we sat down in the chairs. I'm like, bro, we cannot sit next to each other. I need a little bit of wiggle room here. <laughs> yeah, like, I was because uh, the, the nameless voice or the, the faceless voice behind the the camera when we were recording this, my brother, he came along with this as well, and we're all just kind of, I was kind of stuck in the middle of you and my brother, and I was like, can we move? I am not comfortable. Like, yeah. My shoulders are up around my ears. Yeah, everybody scooch. Yeah, but the the finale... it's not like we didn't have enough space to spread out. <laughs> it's it's so weird being in a cinema that's that empty. I think the I worst... mean, it's not the emptiest showing of a film I've ever went to see. The worst one I went to see was the the first Captain America. Yeah, it was me, the two people I went with, and one other guy who was I think on the night shift and just had time to kill. <laughs> we had um. I think the worst anime screening I'd been to was for Scotland Loves Anime, and it was for Knights of Sidonia, and there was 38 people in the entire cinema, and there was 
space for about 200. If you can get 200 nerds in a room together, it's a fucking riot. But having just yeah. 30 there was really awkward. Like, there's just enough of us for it to be kind of like a big public thing, but also it's kind of not enough to call it a good screening. Like, we actually got, like, the guy who hosts it, uh, Jonathan Clements, is like, this is the worst screening we've had in Scotland's anime history. Even, like, year one, when nobody knew this was a thing, we had more than 30 people in each screening. What the fuck? <laughs> who who made this? <laughs> What's wrong with this movie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not seen it yet. I want, this is why I'm here. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the finale was worth it, I'd say. Um... The main thing for me being that uh, Gohan finishes the fight, which is rare. Again, let's say Goku steals a lot of kills. Um, I don't know if you, <laughs> don't know if you feel that same way, but I feel like everyone else takes a crack at someone, wears down the opponent, and Goku's just there for the finishing blow because he's the main character. Yeah. Um, but seeing Gohan actually finish the fight is like, oh, that's cool. But doing it as well with Piccolo's special beam cannon, and I'm like, damn, bro, that actually kind of brings a tear at the eye. Just the idea that you'd use. Yeah his attack and the, the the little line of well you know he was training on it i mean i was, I was working on it i've actually he has been doing a little bit of training and the one thing he chose to do was pick all the special attack i'm like oh that's kind of nice yeah it's a good little uh it's a good little reminder that piccolo has been there for long been there for gohan for a lot more than goku really has yeah papa piccolo never fails to be. and I, I, you probably like this being the kind of resident piccolo fan but most of the film is through Piccolo. Yeah. Obviously, Gohan's there. Gohan literally gets forced into the fight. You know, Gohan gets a few really cool scenes where he just goes ballistic because someone took Pan. Uh, but most of it is, like I said earlier, Piccolo doing some legwork, scoping the place out, uh, putting on the Red Ribbon Army uh, uniform and sneaking into meetings and shit like that. Yeah. It's, um, it is a lot of fun to have that character get a bit of love. And it's um, it, it's good. It's long overdue. Uh, given that he, I mean, the last time uh, Piccolo got a big scene for Dragon Ball was when he fucking died in GT. <laughs> when he says, "I'm not coming with you guys. Fuck this shit. I'm gonna die with the planet." <laughs> when it blows up, and he's like, "Uh, buddy, you could just leave. That'd be fine. You know, you could come with us." And everyone's like, "Please, Piccolo, come with us." And he's like, "Nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, yeah. stay. I'm tired now, man." <laughs> he's such a, a key part of the franchise as well but he just kind of it's, it's good to give him that time in the spotlight it's more than deserved um yeah given that you know the, the massive fan backlash for the last couple of years has been it's come down to just goku and vegeta these days that's the only people who get attention from toriyama anymore and even then vegeta's only there to make goku look better yeah pretty much so giving uh, goku, uh, yeah as a, little, a vegeta fan myself i'd know this all too well it kind of just seems like oh goku's Goku's there, and he's got his, you know, prop Vegeta to make him look a bit better. Yeah, and it's good to get that. It does feel a bit fan servicey, but I honestly don't mind. I've been with this franchise so long that just getting a little bit of love. You're like, oh, nice. I pre- like, thanks. I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, I would highly recommend Dragon Ball Super Hero, Super Superhero, as even with a stupid title, it's it's a good film. Yeah, and it'll be coming out on Blu-ray soon, so I highly recommend picking it up. Oh, I will. I will be and probably watch it again. Hopefully, if it's like a Super Broly, you got a cool poster, maybe some stickers or something with the special edition. Mm-hmm. I I can't wait to show this one to uh, my brothers. I'm like, yo, this is like this is the new one, and this is um because we looked at the Dragon Ball Super uh, Blu-ray collection. You find one in HMV for like a hundred quid for the entire series. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, for what two hundred and something odd episodes. Yeah, 
on Blu-ray as well. And actually, I'd have some of the Blu-rays for like the middle of the show. Um, I think I bought the uh, Goku Black Arc. Yeah, I bought that one because I hadn't seen that mm. part, and people were saying that's the best that the the show got until it finished and wrapped up with the the Tournament of Power, which was very well received. So yeah, I mean, having it end this way and having you know the characters clearly aiming for what happens next with the uh, Galactic Prisoner arc. Interesting. I'd love to see more of Dragon Ball Super uh, whenever we get it. I don't know what the, the yeah. plan is as far as releases. I assume it, it must go forward, right? They, they can't just kind of leave it. But I, I mean, there, there's talk of uh, as soon as they brought the manga back, because apparently uh, Toriyama's number two, the guy that's been uh, taking charge of Dragon Ball Super, he only wrote up, wrote up to a certain part, but then uh, fan... Uh, approval was just kind of can we get more than you know a new saga was kicked into being all approved by Toriyama of course because obviously he is of an age where he's not really got the time to be writing and drawing full manga scripts anymore so. yeah and the manga industry is brutal it it really does grind people down and it's interesting what makes it through and what, what really like, kind of makes the cut um, I mean the best, biggest example of this for the last couple of years are, has been um, show, show now but it was a, a gag manga called uh, Spy Family. So it was like Spy X Family. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest shows of the last couple of years. And they made... Um, it was started as a little spin-off project for the guy who was like, I just wanted to... I'd been working for so long on like three other series. I just wanted something to play around in and something that's kind of light-hearted and didn't really take it that seriously. Turns out it's now one of the biggest shows of all time. <laughs> it's one of the biggest shows of all time. It's getting its second part of the show starts later on this year. And, uh, yeah, it's been, like, a big hit. But he's like, yeah, I don't really care about it. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is the one of the biggest franchises of all time. And it's only just gotten started as, like, a kind of a spin-off thing. Just it was something from a doodle while he was working on other things. And it just happens to be the one that blows up. It's, it's kind of a shame, but it's it's kind of cool at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few. I, I can't, obviously, I can't name, name them off the top of my head, but... There was always talk of a few animes that were just started because a guy wanted to do something else. Like there was, there was another series by, uh, I think Kentaro Miura that he started because he wanted to have a break between uh, writing Berserk, and I'm pretty sure that's highly, highly regarded. Yeah, that was actually he was using that as a, a training ground for they take over Berserk. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. The, the fact that Berserk is continuing. Yeah, we must have talked about that on the show. Yeah, and. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard some really good things about the the next couple of chapters of Berserk. Mm-hmm. I still need to wind my way to because I'm still on technically chapter one. All oh, right, okay. I uh, like, on... I haven't read more of the deluxe edition that I got. I think about a year ago now. I have volume onwards still to read, so I'm a bit further forward than you, but <laughs> yeah. I think you'll catch up pretty quick. Also, I mean, when we're out, I, I end up just going on a wee geeky shopping trip. And uh, obviously, this is actually the start of uh, industrial action in Edinburgh for the, the bins. So, the bin mm. men of Edinburgh decided that they're going to go on strike and not pick up litter for 11 days. We were there on day two and it was a fucking mess. Yeah. Say. Anyway, oh, this is going to keep going for another week. <laughs> and uh, I heard horrible things about uh, how bad the state of the, the national capital was. All happening during uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, so much bigger foot, tra- uh, foot traffic going through Edinburgh using the bins, and it just became an absolute mess. But uh, yeah, I, I went, I went it, it even kind of bled into Bowness and Lothgo because they were still, uh, I don't know what it was, they just kind of went, oh, if nobody's picking up the bins here, we're not fucking doing it here. And then 
where we live is just kind of turning into the same thing. Mm. But I, I grabbed the uh, the Berserk official guidebook for some reason. Just it was up there in uh, uh, what where where are spoons? Waterstones. Found manga in a pub. Where are spoons? You can't fucking read. <laughs> he just pointed at it and said, two of those, please." <laughs> But um, I I grabbed the the official guidebook for Berserk and it's uh, interesting, but actually not worth picking up for some reason. I don't know why. You look at it and go, ah, I shouldn't waste that money. But oh, I'm glad I have it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was it was a fun day out, and I'm really glad we could do that. I think we should do that more. I think we should go see more films. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Uh, Just maybe in a better cinema. <laughs> yeah, maybe in a more comfortable cinema. I know there's a view in Edinburgh, and view seats are pretty damn comfortable. It's a very good view. Human size. Yeah, it's a very good uh, view cinema that's just in Edinburgh. It's not far from the train station. It's the one I use the most often. And yeah. they, they show interesting films as well. So, um, Although, I, I'll be interested. I'll keep an eye on the cinema thing because I hope that doesn't shut down. I, I like more cinemas because um, it promotes a bit of competition. And obviously, cinema is the bottom tier of the competition, but it's good to know that somebody's out there being the bottom line of what's acceptable as a cinema. Yeah. I don't think I've actually been to Cineworld since maybe one of the early... Phase two Marvel films. Oh. It's been a while because as soon as I found out about the view, it was I can pay 13 quid for a cinema ticket or five. Hmm. Which one will Don hmm. pick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think the last time I was there, I went to see Bell, which is uh, an anime movie. Um, that was hmm. that was the last time I was in the cinema world. It was just because that was the only place showing it. Um, yeah. yeah. That was in Glasgow as well. That was, that was interesting. That was. Um, the one that's it's multiple stories and you you go up multiple escalators to get to your your screening room, but there's like it's a ten story thing, but there's like ten different levels of uh, cine worlds or cine world screening rooms and you're like this is such a weird experience going that high up to go see a movie. Yeah, it was it was an interesting day, um, but yeah, Dragon Ball it was a good day out and uh, I'd recommend the movie. I think it's obviously essential for Dragon Ball fans. Um, I hope this actually gets to be canon because obviously there's characters from this that I like. Um, they have they continue the gag of uh, Bulma being very uh, I guess I guess kind of uh, superficial with her Dragon Ball wishes. Yeah, I like the fact that she has a on her payroll. She has a group of people that just go out and find the Dragon Balls for her, and she basically makes some cosmetic surgery wish. Then they disperse, and she goes and finds them again. Yeah, <laughs> which begs the question. I mean, I know it's I get it, it's a GT storyline, but there was a storyline in GT that was the most interesting one with the Omega Shenron. Uh, thing where basically all the dragon balls were corrupted by overuse. Can you imagine the fury of those dragons when they find out they've been used to give Bulma an ass cheek lift? <laughs> yes. I like they, all, they all became. They all had some aspect to the wish. So can you imagine what the dragon would look like if it was just I am the dragon of plastic surgery. <laughs> I am the dragon of like Joan Rivers or something like that. <laughs> I'm Joan Rivers dragon. <laughs> That's so fucked. That's the episode title, A Joe Never's Dragon. <laughs> a Joe Never's Dragon. <laughs> but the, um, like, I, I just I like the idea of, I am the dra- I am the immortal dragon of perky tits. <laughs> <laughs> I am the immortal dragon of ass lifts. <laughs> but I, I like that she, um, at one point Pickle's like, you're using the immortal dragon for this type of wish. And she's like, the point of it is so it doesn't look like cosmetic surgery. <laughs> and it's, it's such... It, like she clearly has us down in her head as like being completely acceptable. And you're like, these are sacred items. <laughs> these are, we can bring people back from the dead. And you're like, can you take an inch off my waist, please? 
and Shen was just fed up. Yeah, what was it in the in Resurrection F? She wanted to be five. No, in Broly, she wanted to be five centimeters taller or something like that. Yeah, she had some Frieza wanted to be just a bit taller. Yeah, because they do the gag of like you're yelling at them, but you can't do this. You're being so superficial and so so vain. Like what? (laughs) And Frieza's got the exact same idea. (laughs) Evil Space Hitler has the same idea. It's Bulma. <laughs> I'm uh, sick and tired of being called a midget. And, and again, it's it's not the fact that it, it can't look like uh it can't look obvious. It has to be just subtle enough that you know he's a little bit bigger, but at the same time not enough to be like, hey, how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want any questions being asked. I like it. Um yeah, so any other thoughts on Dragon Ball Superhero? Super superhero. Yeah. Fuck. Just <laughs> go watch it. The title gets confusing if you're trying to say it, say it a lot of times. But yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's definitely a change of pace in terms of the Dragon Ball films. Uh, given Piccolo the spotlight with Gohan, uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, the, the one thing I didn't like was, uh, being completely honest, uh, I didn't like Gotenks. Felt like he could have been completely cut out of the film and it still would have been fine. Uh, although, did, did you not find Goten's voice a bit weird? It's Trunks just, still sounded fairly teenage, but Goten sounded like a grown-ass man. I, I think it's just odd, because Goten, we're used to Goten being like the next Kid Goku when it's at the end of Z. And yeah. he kind of stays that way for most of Super. He gets a little bit older, and you have him being like kind of like in hijinks, but like childish hijinks with Trunks. But I mm. think because we're used to seeing um, Trunks as the older version of himself, because of the time travel mm-hmm. stuff, I'm used to seeing Trunks being a little bit older, but I'm just yeah. unused to seeing Goten being anything other than another kid Goku. Yeah. And it's kind that, of like, that was, yeah. That was definitely what I, what I kind of took from that. It's just, you're not, you should still be a child. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It is kind of fun. Your voice shouldn't be as deep as it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're clearly like just at the start of PBA and they're like, <laughs> they still do a little bit of martial arts and they still just kind of, they're best buddies and stuff like that, but they just kind of dick around a lot more than just actually train and fight. Okay, that's yeah. pretty cool. I like that that's there. But they can still throw down as well. That's a big part of it for me. Is like, as much as there's a lot of stuff about, you know, being who you want to be, they kind of still do want to be involved in the fighting world. Hmm. Or they're willing to pitch in at least. They understand, you know, when shit goes down, all hands on deck. You know, let's help out as much, whatever we can do. Yeah. Uh, Even if it is just getting in the way and. Yeah. Being a distraction for five seconds. Up. Yeah. It's pretty funny. And I, I do like that they keep their ability of doing uh, the Gotenks fusion between Goten and Trunks. Yep. Like they still they, they fuck it up, but they still remember what to do. But yeah, if, if they drop those characters, it wouldn't really be that big of a deal. Um, yep. And I know the current, like, the, the long-running gag is that uh, Krillin's kind of a bitch. I just kind of like, eh, I, I wish they'd kind of drop that one for some reason. I, I, there's nothing well, really... He is, the, he is the strongest human. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's won tournaments, I think. Has he won? I think he did. No, uh, in every tournament that Krillin's been in, he's either been knocked out in the final stages or he's been killed to uh, make Goku fight. That's a shame, but yeah, he is the strongest human, and he is. He's, he should get a maybe just so that there's a new gag. I get very bored of seeing the same joke again and again and again. Yeah, I think it'd be good to just have a new go- a new joke for because it was funny that he shows up at one point in like police uniform and he's like. Well, I still would help people, but can't really do it through fighting anymore because we don't have to fight anymore as much as we used to. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny joke to have him show up in a police uniform. 
Never be like, nerd. <laughs> you dork. What are you going to do, narc? Um, but yeah, speaking of movies, uh, today I watched Thor Love and Thunder after you recommended it last time. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good Thor film. Why people seem to be uh, pissed, why people seem to be annoyed by that film to the extent where Taika Waititi is not coming back for Thor 5? Fucking beyond me. There was uh, nothing nothing wrong with that film at all. Nothing to the extent it would harass a director off a platform. Um, but there's yeah. stuff that I, I don't like in there. Um, I don't like Dude Bro Thor. I don't know what it is. There's something about like the opening scene with him and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't enjoy it. When he kind of settles into, okay, I have a mission and I have, I have a goal. Hmm. When he's not doing these kind of zen wanderings and his, his time away, his, his me time after the events of Infinity War. Um, I'm kind of like, okay, that was kind of boring and kind of annoying, but when he actually gets into like, okay, I have a, I have something to do once he makes contact with Gore the God Butcher, I'm like, okay, that that's a better Thor. You know, uh, I think if it was being kind of like, if that's, if, I hate Dude Bro Thor, I like Warrior Thor. Yeah. Um, I, I like his kind of like slightly romantic side, where he's like, he's not a great thinker or a speaker, he just has a very simple set of values that he appreciates. And he, he wants to live by a certain code. And it's like, okay, I, I like that um, his his attempt at a romantic relationship with Jane Foster, and it doesn't quite work out as well as it should do, because he's just a bit of an idiot. Which has been there from day one. Like, that's, like, a, a key part of Thor's character is that he's just an idiot. So when you have him try to be, like, a dude bro, it just kind of doesn't work for some reason. But yeah, it's... When he's got the the whole thing of, like, when, when he's on the mission and stuff, and the, the scene with the other gods where, like, he's just kind of he he knows he isn't going to be as respected as somebody like uh, Zeus, but Zeus is also a dude bro. But he just happens to be the king of the dude bros, so he gets away with it. Yeah, king of the dude bros is the perfect way to describe Zeus. I did not care for Zeus. I thought he was funny, but funny at points. So I was just kidding. I I, I just why, like why take it that way? <laughs> um, I like seeing uh, what's his name show up in like various roles. Um, Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe. I'm, for some reason, yeah. I'm like, I, I, I was thinking to myself, if I can just sing the South Park song about him fighting people, I can remember what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that mentally broken. I'm like, hmm, just think about South Park. You'll figure out that guy's name. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's he's um, he's there as the kind of like, he's doing the kind of Greek voice. And it's not bad. It, it's an interesting choice. But it's, it's very obviously an Australian guy doing an accent. <laughs> you know? Yeah, And it's two Australians doing fake accents at each other. Because Hemsworth, yeah, one is, of them's. Bit, I will say one of them's a bit better than the other. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers! I think you can guess who it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, him showing up as being like kind of, uh, the 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 previous generation, the king of the dude bros, and it's like it's kind of funny, and it, it does actually fit in with uh Zeus in terms of like Greek lore, where he just shows up and fucks everything, and now that yeah. he's try- like he's okay, first or first order of business, where we hold the orgy, <laughs> like. Okay, that's the most Zeus line ever uttered. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't I don't know how it blends with Zeus as a Marvel character. I imagine it doesn't. I don't actually know. Mm. There was there was a lot of things going into this that I didn't really know about, with the exception of God the God Butcher, because uh, I have been reading Jason Aaron's run on uh, Thor, mm-hmm. and 
reading God of the God Butcher, there's so many things he could have done, but there's so many things I understand that they can't do. Yeah, there's because... a, yeah, his storyline is very, very dark, and at the same time, in order to pull it off, you need to wipe out a lot of people, and I don't think... You basically need to... Gore is a genocidal maniac. Yeah. And, it and to beat him, it takes three Thors. Mm-hmm. And you have one to... One of which yeah. has... One of which is wielding two Mjolnirs and has the the real version of the Necrosword, which yeah. is a symbiote containing or a symbiote belonging to the god of all symbiotes. Yeah, so. this is a, like if you see Thor: Love and Thunder, it is a very stripped down version of the Gore storyline, but it kind of has to be like you. That is a TV series that would honestly be doing the full run of it. I would say you need something akin to a Game of Thrones. Yeah, you need a couple of seasons, two three seasons to get. To do that properly. Yeah, and they would all need to be that hour-long length of, like, uh, I guess we call it, like, uh, like current television, where it's kind of, like, very dense, multiple, like, basically like a Game of Thrones level of television, where you have, yeah. like, hour-long shows just expo- explaining all the setup. And you would have a lot of great action scenes in there, but at the same time, you, if you're tying that into the idea that you also bring back Natalie Portman as Mighty Thor at the same time, it's like, okay, you need to, like, you need to cut out so much of all the storylines to make it all fit together. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I have the the notes. That said, Gore the God Butcher was not bad at all. Uh, yeah. I think they did quite well with them. I don't know how much of that was just Christian Bale, because I quite like Christian Bale, obviously because of Batman. But uh, mm. yeah, I wasn't disappointed with Gore the God Butcher. It, it's a shame that I have to compare him to Joker because that's just the default uh, villain, I guess nowadays. Is like okay. It might, how would you describe this person in terms of being the Joker? But there are elements of that where he is, uh, like, when he's tormenting the kids, uh, you have a bunch of the kids in the cage, and all of a sudden you have uh, Thor showing up to be, like, kind of reassuring, and but he's kind of an idiot as well, so he doesn't quite nail it every time. Um, and then you have, uh, the, like, uh, Gore showing up to torment them, and because he knows, I get the feeling he knows that those kids are talking to um, the Asgardians, so he's, he's scaring them to bring the Asgardians closer or faster to him. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like, he's using them a little bit. And he's he's a very intelligent villain. And it's kind of, like, his performance is a little bit Joker-esque in that scene. But in everything else, he is just so fucking creepy. Yeah. The scene where he jumps forward, and it's not done as, like, a, it's kind of like just a, a cut with the edit, where he's on the other side of a, a car park, someone walks in front of the lens, and all of a sudden he's, like, ten feet closer. Like, he's ten feet away from you with a sword in your like, Oh shit, that was good. That was really good. Yeah. And he's staring at you with those orange eyes. And it's just, whoa, it's fucking. Dead. It makes your skin crawl, which is an interesting description, but it's great. Yeah, I, I like that they kept how creepy he was because you see in the books just how, how he moves and stuff. It, obviously, you can't really see it because it's, it's a comic, but just how he moves is kind of stuttery. He just kind of pops in around places and. Yeah. Pretty cool to see. The fact that he drags the swords or any weapons that he has rather than lift them up like a warrior is very fucking weird. Yeah. It just, it throws you off. There's something about it. It just, it doesn't seem right. And I like that. He does look kind of zombie-esque at certain points as well with all the, the scars and the damage that he's got. But yeah, there's, there's a lot in there to enjoy. There's the running gag of uh, anthropomorphizing the weapons as well. But I, I looked at it and it's like, the whole gag is that, uh, you know, Thor thinks of Mjolnir as like an ex, like an ex-girlfriend, and he, Stormbreaker is the current girlfriend he's with, and yeah. they keep having this running gag, and I'm like, okay, kind of funny, but 
but this is the third time we've done this gag in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Do you have a new I joke? I did not care for the the anthropomorphized hammers whatsoever. I thought it was pretty cool how they, how they made Mjolnir kind of react to Thor's orders and stuff like that. I thought that was pretty cool, but the whole jealous Stormbreaker thing, I was like, okay, let's, yeah. let's move past this, please. I, I don't think it helps that Stormbreaker has never looked worse. For some like when it shows up in Avengers Endgame, it is the most fucking awesome thing on the planet. It is a giant axe made out of Groot's arm that shoots lightning and makes him a flying god of death. And when he arrives yeah. at it, it's one of the hyper scenes that Marvel's ever made. But when it, you see it now, it looks like a toy. And it, yeah, I, I hate it. I really when you see it on screen, I'm like, uh, it, it's never looked lighter. It never looked more fake than it does now. And I just, it's like, uh, just it's. There's, it's something about it just is like that's a shame you know you've got an awesome weapon there with an awesome story and it's like it's treated like a weird toy I don't like it but I do like yeah. Mjolnir Mjolnir being broken due to Thor Ragnarok and then the fact that it comes together again by force of will and then it uses the fact that it breaks apart now in part of its attacks I'm like that's awesome yeah, I like that, that that was cool as fuck that's a neat little addition I do like them uh, portraying, like, mixing or, like, contrasting Natalie Portman as Mighty Thor and her using the weapon to kind of counteract her, like, to hold herself in place to feel better during her cancer treatment. Yeah. Versus Gore the God Butcher and him using the parasitic sword to keep himself alive for the Necrosword. I like yeah. that that was there in contrast and somebody goes, uh, Gore actually points out, it's like, hey, we're doing the same thing here, you know, we're... We're both gonna die. You know that, right? This, these aren't actually helping us. You know, oh, that's an interesting uh, little twist on the the whole setup that they've established for this. But yeah, it's it's good. I like it. It was an interesting little addition to the movie. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. But like I said, because I just realised we have spoken about this before when I went to go see the film, I still think they could have done more with uh, the Mighty Thor, Jane Foster. Mm. Not not to the point where I was like, yeah, like cut her out of the film. He could have done a lot more with her. Yeah, and I guess the the big spoiler for this one is she's dead now, and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I, I would love to see uh, a universe with more of the two Thors, you know, and it would yeah. have it would have been a good development, a good character arc for Thor to be to have to sit down and go through chemotherapy with uh, Jane Foster as his partner. So it's I, I just wish they'd done a little bit more. It's a good character. It would have been interesting to have her back. I I like her as an actress. She was doing very well in this film with the. Uh, the existing cast, I like the idea that she's there and she has her own life and she went on to do like great things in her academic field, but at the same time, like, was just so desperate she turned to Viking space magic, as she puts it. Like, okay, that's yeah. interesting. She has the great scientific mind, but like, fuck, I guess we have to resort to Viking space magic now. Yeah, I guess we need to go and do something, you know, completely weird and wonderful just so I can, you know, stave off this cancer. Yeah, but I like, I like that she, uh, she embraces I like that it. She well. was a complete noob to the whole hero thing as well. Oh yeah, she's trying to figure out catchphrases, and he's like, "Yeah, you should go with that one, or like try and workshop this a little bit more." And like all her catchphrases just suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's trying to be nice about it. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. It's an, again a nice, it's nice little character things that it, I think that's that's probably Taika Waititi's influence on the the franchise. Oh, definitely. Like as you said earlier, there is more comedy in MCU films, and I think. TT, if not started it, included it a lot more. I'd say it's kind of always been there because obviously uh, Joss Whedon is very good at that kind of the Whedonite dialogue 
that uh, yeah. we've kind of grown to hate a little bit. Um, but then you've got James Gunn, very funny writer in terms of his movies. Mm. Um, I didn't know. I think he apparently may have written some of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which is a funny movie. It's not supposed to be, but it has his moments. Um, yeah. But he's very good at writing jokes. So it's it's definitely been increasing. And then uh, Taika has a, a comedy background with movies. Like all his stuff, his previous work is comedy based movies. So like he obviously knows. Yeah, how I to think he jokes. himself uh, is a stand up. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's how he met uh, the guys for Flight of the Concord. Hmm. He was doing stand up in New Zealand. All right. I'll maybe check up to see if find anything that he's done. Be interesting to see that. But yeah, he's he's definitely got his sense of humor. It's it's slightly different from most other places, which is why it can seem a bit off when like they're trying to do those jokes with certain characters that haven't really had his like Thor is now his character to basically write and do what he wants with, which is yeah, it's fine as long as he stays with Dude Bro Thor because he's he's not good at that. He just makes Dude Bro Thor into a moron, and it's like he's dumb, but he's not a complete fucking moron. Like there's a line, and you it doesn't seem to be on the right side of it for me. Um, but yeah, I just, other characters, like, uh, obviously, the Guardians of the Galaxy, he's never really touched those before, so you don't have their type of, uh, humour doesn't really come through the same way it would in their own movies, which is odd, but yeah, it's, it, he, he's a very good comedy writer, and he uh, helps add his style to the, the... Yeah, I, I definitely get what you mean by saying that he does, hasn't really touched the, the Guardian side of it before, because the Guardians just felt flat. Like they were just in this to because it happened in the other film. There was no real reason for them to be in it. Yeah, they, you they could were, have included them as like a five-minute scene at the start of them literally dropping Thor off. Yeah, and it would have been exactly the same. I think it would have been funnier if they just kicked him out and just were like, "You don't fit in with us anymore. Just fucking leave." <laughs> yeah, just a drop kick, like get fuck out of here, man. We're done with you. Yeah, like hey, take your shit, leave. We're done with you, and then just I am Groot. And that, that's all you have to do, because that's all they're there for is so that Groot can say, I am Groot, and that's it. Yeah. Apparently it's still Vin Diesel doing that voice. Yeah. Hmm, but interesting. I guess he just scrunches his voice up a little bit, and go, they maybe pitch shift it a little bit, because they can't imagine him being that high-pitched, for some yeah. reason. I mean, you got to think about that. That's going to be the luckiest gig that Vin Diesel has ever got, because all he has to do is kind of, is it, you imagine the, the voice director going, and Vin, it's your line, okay. <clears throat> I am Groot. <laughs> he just cracks his neck. 20 minute break. <laughs> then it's your line again. I am Groot. <laughs> just sits back as a coffee. Please poker on his iPad or something like that. Can we uh, get a bit of a longer take there, Vin? I am Groot. That's a good one, Vin. Just one more for safety. <laughs> hey, can we get one, but he's surprised. Oh, I am Groot. <laughs> one, but he's angry. I am Groot. Yeah, it's... An absolute win. It does kind of work. Again, like, if you use it right, but if it's just there to be there nowadays, you know, I mean, I guess it just became a a thing. And I mean, obviously, you kind of need to have him come back because he's just part of the team for Guardians of the Galaxy. And as with all good teams, their chemistry is based on every character being there. So if you kill one of them off, you kind of need to rebalance the entire team. So I get why he's still around. But at the same time, like, if he died during, is it Infinity War? No, it's the second movie. Endgame. Uh, no, like the second Guardians movie. Oh no, he dies at the, in the first Guardians film. Oh yeah, because dancing. He baby... shields everybody from the the. Yes, because from Ronan the Accuser. Yeah, baby group running around is the start of the second movie. 
because yeah. that's the intro to the thing. It's a very fucking funny intro. Very. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not care at all for Baby Groot to be honest. Was, okay, yeah. hurry up and grow up because Groot's a cool character. He's pretty damn strong, but yeah, having him just be Baby Groot and having him run around. But the the intro as Baby Groot of him like running around chasing a rat is very funny for this second yeah. movie. Just with the, the the fight to the death with basically a space crack in in the background, all completely out of focus, so you can have Baby Groot running around chasing a rat. That that. Yeah. Always cracked me up. It's um, it's it, Thor: Love and Thunder. Good movie. I I wonder if that. I hope it continues because obviously you now have um, for the end of the movie you get the new character love. Um, yeah, who's a completely new character for uh, Thor: Love and Thunder because there is no parallel that I can see in any of the Thor books right now. Yeah, but it's an interesting. Or never concept. has any children or anything like that. So. I, I like that it's there. It's a very good. As far as the end to an MCU movie, I don't think we've ever had one that preaches peace or some kind of acceptance or love or forgiveness. And I like that it was there. And I like that it came from Thor. I think that was supposed to be more of a kind of character growth moment that says, hey, look, not everything has to end in a fight. Yeah. Which I, I, I like. everything has to have a bad downer ending. Yeah. And it, it was just down to, I'm going to choose to spend the moment, the last moments of my life. If you're going to kill us all, I will choose to spend it with a woman I love. You can choose love to it, and you're like, hmm, interesting end to a Marvel movie because it never is that way. Oh, absolutely not. You, you never get the happy ending. Yeah. So I, I like Love and Thunder. I think it was good. Um, I, I obviously have my, my gripes about it. There's parts where I'm like, ah, that opening 10, 15 minutes, I'm like, can we hurry this the fuck along, please? <laughs> the whole Guardians fighting uh, the alien like owl race as uh, interesting creatures, but at the same time, this needs to be like five minutes shorter now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good movie. and I don't think they did a bad job of uh, Valkyrie as King of the Asgardians as well. I think that was underrated. I think she kind of comes into her own in this film. Uh, just the performance is a bit better. The voice is a hell of a lot better than it was in other films. Yeah. And she actually gets to do a bit more in this than she was she was allowed to in previous outings. Yeah, I, I kind of dug the character of Valkyrie in this yeah. one. And I like she goes... I, I'm just, I just hate it. I just, it's meetings and meetings about meetings that could have been an email <laughs> or Raven mail. Yeah, it's, it's Raven mail and meetings that should have been Raven mail. And I'm like, that's, that's a funny line. <laughs> yeah. It is hard. It's not as hard to be king. It just fucking sucks. So aye, it's a good movie and I, I like it. And I, I want to see a bit more. I just, it's a shame we don't have uh, Jane Foster. Or maybe we do. Maybe there's some way we can have her come back from Valhalla at some point, but it's, she's been put there for a reason, I think, and it was because that was Natalie Portman just done with us. Maybe, although I did hear that she is uh, quite quite keen to come back and do more, but I think with Taika Waititi stepping away for the next film, I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, oh, actually, Which is a bit shit, because he did... Not that I don't like Thor The Dark World, I quite enjoyed that film. Uh, yeah, I like so I'm, one of those, I'm one of those weird scrubs that likes Iron Man 2 and uh, Thor The Dark World. Taika Waititi definitely did give Thor the shot in the arm that it needed, to be honest. Mm. It, it revolutionised it and made it a bit more bright and colourful because the original Thor comics were, you know, they still had the kind of decent storylines and the kind of almost Nordic storylines, but they, they were brighter, they were more colourful, and Taika Waititi did that. So yeah. it'll be weird to see what happens in Thor 5 when he's not there. Yeah, I, I do like the, because um, Thor, the, the character, like this, the, the premise is inherently silly. And I like that Taika Waititi just embraces that and runs with it. 
Yeah, he definitely steers into it, and I think it helps the character. Oh, and the, the the play, the plays that exist within the Thor universe are getting worse, and I find that hilarious. <laughs> they're so shit. Oh, they're getting, they're getting better to watch, but I, I like the fact that they're just, in the series, they're just going downhill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, with, they're, uh, being, they're trying Melissa to... McCarthy playing Hello. That was fucking brilliant. That, that, that was brilliant. Her appearance, like, if you... It's a shame we've kind of just talked about it because that's one thing. It's like I didn't know that was coming, and when it happens, you're like fuck yes. <laughs> I'm not the biggest Melissa McCarthy fan, but some sometimes she just has a role that I'm like, you're perfect for this. <laughs> yeah. And her as Hella is just brilliant, and um, I I like that it's still Matt Damon as Loki because he just looks nothing like Loki. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's the ultimate community theater. Uh, theater uh, performance in the more in the Marvel universe, and the fact that it keeps showing up, it was like a one-off gag, and it just keeps happening again and again and again. Yeah. And it's I like uh, that they keep doing the recap in the film, and it's still it's like, have they still got Sam Neil? Let's keep fucking using them. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neil is Odin. It just it just does not work. It was Anthony Hopkins as Odin for the majority of these films, and have him another great actor step in to kind of take the piss a little bit. It's like that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. You kind of get, you, no matter how you feel about Thor, you got to give it to that that running gag of the uh, the Asgardian playwright. Yeah, and the fact that they keep getting called back to Asgard, it's just, I, I really, really dig it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a massive, like, all the children have been sold, like, 30 to 40 kids have been kidnapped by an evil villain, and they're like, first thing is, like, is it okay for us to do a play? Like, they think that's so important, they think they're so important, they have to go and ask, hey, just so you know, we're going to make our, our play, we have to tell the story, we have to tell the saga of what happened to these children, and we, gonna start working it right away is it too soon <laughs> like shut up bro no one's watching your shit we've missing children <laughs> will you shut up i i'm gonna piss myself laughing if in thor 5 because they're gonna keep this going or at least i hope they do if they go to new asgard and it's still they'll have the same actor playing thor they'll obviously loki won't be there they cast some completely strange actress to play a uh, valkyrie but to play god the god butcher i think Funny as fuck if they get some proper thespian in there. Patrick Stewart to play God of the God Butcher. Nah, I, I, I mean, that kind of would be funny, but then I feel like we'd just be, because of, like, Gore's not quite naked, but he would basically be shirtless. Yeah. And I just think we'd be laughing at Patrick Stewart being shirtless, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. But I think if... I mean, the ultimate casting is Jared Little. I think you got to go Jared Little and just tell him to be, like, the Joker and just be as a complete piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and go uh, all I, I I don't want him anywhere near films that I'm going to be watching in the future. He's had too many chances, man. <laughs> he's he's so powerful. He's killed the MC, the, the MCU. He damaged the MCU and the DC extended universe in in just the matter of a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, he's too powerful. He can't be stopped. Yeah. He cannot be stopped. He will not stop himself. He is the. That's why he's perfect. He is. Physically, the Gore the God Butcher. He, is, he, he destroys universes, sunders gods, and throws them aside like t- toys and playthings broken and used. <laughs> At this point, he's the fucking anti-life equation. <laughs> he just destroys everything in his path. And he doesn't even know that he's doing it. He's just, he just thinks that he's being a good actor. <laughs> Very method. You're a dick. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're not a method actor. You're just an arsehole. Um, actually, just on, in the vein of uh, MCU stuff, uh, I watched She-Hulk because I saw all the drama about how it's just fake woke crap nonsense, and you're like, "What is actually going on here?" Because I see that it's 
the best thing ever and the worst thing ever. I want to figure out what the answer is. So I, I, I have uh, a Disney Plus account. So I was like, okay, I'll go grab that. I'll watch uh, She-Hulk and see what the deal is. And it's it's fine. Um, it's it's not great. Um, like the the, the woke feminist stuff is there. Um, it's been there since the trailer, so you can't be surprised by it. And I hate that people are still surprised. We're like four episodes in, and it's like they keep doing feminist stuff, and I'm like, yeah, it's a feminist character. <laughs> it's the, it's yeah. the show's called She-Hulk. How surprised can you be? Where did you think this was going? Um, just out of curiosity, please. If if it's not for you, just don't watch it. I guess, like, that's yeah. the only option I can really give you. Um, there's points of it where I, I really find myself quite enjoying it, and it's more to do with the fact that it's it's more of a rom-com than anything else. It's not, like, an action show. Um, there's a few action scenes, a few fight scenes, and they're generally all right. Um, but the idea that you have her trying to be a normal person in the MCU is interesting, because it's just, it opens up a, like a d- different angle on what's going on. Like the idea that um, they brought it up after uh, Avengers, not Endgame, it's the one with uh, Ultron, Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron, yeah. The fact that they bring up, hey, like, yeah, there was an awesome cinematic battle and you defeated an army of 10,000 robots, but you also killed a lot of people, a lot of civilians, and destroyed a city. You have to pay for that. You know, you have to, you have to make amends, or you have to go to court for that. And I like the idea, like, the real-life... The real world, similar to ours, is running in the background of the MCU, and it has issues, and it needs lawyers. And I find that interesting, and the idea that superheroes and their powers can sometimes land up in court. And I like the yeah. idea that you know we have ma- massive New York law firms or LA law firms hiring or starting departments to deal with superhero legal issues because that means there's superhero law being written due to the presence of superheroes. I mean, obviously, it's a big part of the original, uh, like. Uh, this Mar- uh, Marvel Civil War storyline is that legislation comes in saying that, obviously in the comic books legislation comes in, I think the Red Straw superheroes that's, obviously it was slightly different I think for the movies, I think it was just uh, signing them up as like a branch of the military to the US government um, but yeah, it was like the idea that the real world ticks on in the background of these MCU movies. That's definitely what I kind of liked about it like, the idea that these superheroes are going to be held accountable for it just because you know Law and shit is my bread and butter at this point, but uh, nah, I just I just kind of dig uh, She-Hulk. Uh, I've always been a bit of a fan of the character, even since uh, the early Marvel three days. I tried playing She-Hulk in that game, but she's fucking hard to use. Mm. Just in the comics, she's always been a good character. She was Deadpool, but without being an arsehole, because she did break the fourth wall. She did talk to the outside the panel, so to speak. Yeah, and she's just a pretty fun character, and then they've stuck true to that in the series, and they have, uh, they've kind of kept going with that, and they've brought in, they're sticking with the the law theme as well as much as they can. I kind of wish they would maybe stay steer away from that for a wee while. I kind of want more superhero in my superhero show because I, I I like seeing the law stuff. Some of it I would need to run it through a, or run it past an American lawyer or. Yeah, an American lawyer. I mean, there's some stuff. I don't, know, I don't know if it makes sense or not. But... Yeah, there's some stuff in episode four. I'm like, oh, hell no. There was a, a drunk woman, on, like a woman who shows up to court with a drink in hand, already drunk, and she goes on the stand to testify. That immediately, nope, that's not happening. That would be. Yeah. That Regardless, be yeah. you can't have a drunk person taking the stand in any 
any court system. Yeah, we don't need to fact check that one. But I would actually like to see um, your opinion on the legal side of things for She-Hulk once we like finish the show. Because I'm, I'm going episode yeah. to episode like week to week, so it'll be a couple... I mean, I think there's like 10 episodes planned. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, considering they're putting Daredevil in episode 5, I just assumed that it was going to be 6 episodes. Uh, but... Possibly, yeah. I mean, I, I would expect 6, just because I'm pretty sure that's how long the, the spin-off shows last. Yeah. Because um, I'm pretty sure that was the length of One Division, right? Uh, I think so. Mm. Well, not I only, can't really remember. The Wikipedia page says four. IMDb uh, it says there's more and more episodes to, there's more episodes to come. Um, uh, She-Hulk is apparently going to be nine episodes. Oh, okay. Why not just go for ten? I don't understand that. I, I, I would actually prefer if they don't have a tenth script and they don't know they can make a tenth episode, you don't force one. Yeah, I'd much rather they sat down and said, we can make a She-Hulk show, we have these scripts, okay, let's maybe cut one or two that aren't as good, I'd rather have nine good episodes of She-Hulk, rather than seven good ones, or seven good ones, and then like, six shit ones that are just kind of there to pad out the time. Yeah. But yeah. Because, I mean, She-Hulk's already had enough, you know, padding things out, so it might just be time to get on with it almost, because I think we're coming to the end of the legal stuff, I think we're going to start seeing more of the... The superhero. The superhero stuff, which is it's going to be good mm. well, going I'm, forward, because She-Hulk has got some pretty cool storylines that they can tap into. I'm glad you brought up the, the fourth wall break, because I was going to ask about that. It seems quite natural, so I assumed it was part of a character, but I didn't know. But you are saying yeah, she does it, it all uh, Quite literally, in the comics, she would there'd be a panel where she would explain shit to the reader. Okay, it's quite good, because I, I like it when they do it, and she's treating you like you're part of her subconscious, like you're how she views herself. In a sense, like, I, I like that. But in episode four, they start talking about the, the fact that you're watching a show. I'm like, that's a shame. I don't know why, but I like the idea that they were doing it as um, she's talking to you as you're, as if you're part of her. But the idea that now she's talking to you as an audience member for a show, I'm like, oh, that's a shame. It's just something about the way they, they handle it. I'm like, that's, it's, I'm just bored of people breaking the fourth wall. Not funny. It's not smart anymore. It's boring and cliche. Like just, just knock it the fuck off. Yeah, but, uh, they were handling it really well when she's um, like episode one, where she's hired in the new law firm, and she's talking to you, and she's like talking about, ah oh, shit, I can't believe you've been hired. This is the dream job, but I've been hired for not for me, but because I'm green. Like you know, I've been hired as a, a stunt piece rather than for my you know my professional acumen. And it kind of sucks. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's like a debate she's having in her head. It's like she's something she would want. And I like that she would complain about that to you. But then you start talking about the show as being a show, and like, ah, kind of, kind of lost me there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the the the, the thing about the animation, no, like for her three D model, I will say that she looks like shit in broad daylight. I just yeah, it does. It doesn't look great. And the uh, the twerking scene at the end of episode three that kind of highlighted that. It, <laughs> looks like your ass is bloody doesn't like it's moving yeah uh, well for me it's more to do with um people may want to talk about like shilk being twerking oh she would never do that and i'm like as far as i can tell from the the bits and pieces i've seen of the comic books she hulk's quite sexually liberated and yeah. that's just what that comes through like that's the modern interpretation of being sexually liberated if you don't like it i i get it just you, you sound like a whiny man child when you complain about it <laughs> just you know 
not WWE, obviously, I'm talking about like the Twitter mobs online. Yeah. Um, and it just sounds really kind of pathetic to hear people whining about it. I'm like, it's a fucking comic book show, get over it. You know, if you don't like yeah, it, and, don't watch it. Uh, those people that are saying that haven't read any of the books because I, I can tell that just from the sentence. In the comic books, they have her doing uh, skipping ropes naked. Uh, there's an entire panel where uh, her and Wolverine have a very in-depth conversation about how she I think she had sex with a juggernaut or something like that, and she you know, was a back and forth between them on that. <laughs> so yeah, it's always been part of it. And you know, I, it, you know, super. Uh, she probably would twerk. She's probably one of those superheroes that would twerk. Yeah, like she's like she's a, a sexually liberated woman. It's gonna be a thing she does. Like that's just how it comes across now. I I just I, I also like the idea that she's talking about like Wolverine sitting there like feeling like can't believe Juggernaut's getting away with it, and she's like, you know, Juggernaut's got a fucking piece on him, right? Like a fucking dick. <laughs> that, that neck muscle, it's like that, but <laughs> just a fucking baby's arm down there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but the um, but yeah, it just kind of yeah, it's it's an okay show. It's not worth getting better shape. Like she Hulk does look like shit in broad daylight. Like, for me, it's um, whenever they show her in the office. There's something about the scenes there where it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, the light doesn't really settle on her properly. Yeah. But it's weird though because it looks really good in dimly lit rooms and at night. Yeah. It looks really good there and I think they've made the model to look good at night and it just happens that it, it just based on the lighting doesn't look right. She looks like a PlayStation yeah. character and I'm like, oh, it really stands yeah. out. They'll, I mean, they'll definitely tweak it and they'll do, they'll make sure that in the next series, because it's probably going to get a season two, uh, just based on its popularity, people seem to be digging She-Hulk. Uh, they'll probably get a season two, and they'll probably clean up the animation as they do with everything. Uh, because you've seen how far they took uh, Hulk. So once they've probably realised, right, we can if we can do the same thing for Smart Hulk, but on a slightly smaller, slightly more slender frame, mm-hmm. I think they'll think it'll be a bit easier to watch. Yeah. Not that it's difficult to watch it now, but there's a, I do agree with you. There are some points where like. Yeah, that smile looked weird. Like yeah. in the the episode where she's on Marvel's version of Tinder. Yeah. There's some points where like she smiles and like, oh, that did not look like you wanted it to. Mm. I, I did like they, they show you her taking photos, but they show you the photos as they're happening. And that actually looked okay. That yeah. that obviously was designed to be like a glamour shot for like a trailer. Um and they they put a lot more effort into that, uh the polish in that animation. But yeah, it's it's a bit odd. It doesn't look right. I do like that they brought back Tim Roth as... Uh, yeah, Tim Roth is Abomination. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I've, was he always that fish-like? No. Uh, the original Emil Blonsky and the Incredible Hulk, the the first Hulk film in the MCU, or the only Hulk film in the MCU, should I fancy, uh, he was just basically a, a slightly duller, bald Hulk with weird kind of bony elbows, like he had these weird kind of knife things on his elbow, he never had the weird fish ears, that's some kind of new mutation, but yeah. that that's how he looks in the books Okay, that's fine, I, I'm wondering about someone. I don't think he looked like that the first time, I thought he was just kind of beige Hulk in a way, yeah, Okay, but they probably fine. had to change it, to differentiate it from the universal version of the Abomination you, know, you can use the same character, but we're not going to okay using that design, like, fine, we'll just redo him, it was a mutation Right, okay, that makes sense. That's fine. But yeah, like I, I'll watch the rest of this. It's only five more episodes to go. It's not that bad. It's, you know... Yeah, like I said, I enjoy it. I quite enjoy it. 
I, I did like the in the second episode where she's trying to like chat and be like kind of very weedney, um, very kind of weed night dialogue with the prison guard, and he's like, yeah, what if I do this?" And he's like, "Man, this is a prison. <laughs> we are a fucking. This is the you're in the real deal here. Like we're not fucking around. This is a prison. You're visiting Supermax Penitentiary. Do not fuck around with the, the inmates, okay?" <laughs> I do like that there was that kind of dialogue of like, hey, d- stop your bullshit, you know. But yeah, it's, it's an okay series. Um, I wouldn't say it's essential. Someone asked me if they thought, like, uh, they were like, I'm not sure if I've got time to watch it. And I said, you could you could watch something else. I think she was actually trying to watch Sandman, um, which I watched as well. Did you watch Sandman? Yeah, I watched a lot of Sandman. Uh, it's something that since my, since I got a, an Audible account, well, since I started uh, getting more into my Audible account, I downloaded the Sandman audiobook and I really, really enjoyed that. So when they announced they were doing the live action show, I was like, okay, I'll I'll get into this. How is the I was audiobook? quite glad that I did because it was a really, really good show. Is it, how is the audiobook? Because I was considering listening to it. And the audiobook saw... is really, really good. Uh, it's over, obviously, with all a Neil Gaiman's uh, project. It's overseen by Neil Gaiman and all the casting is done pretty well. Uh, the Obviously, the cast is completely different than uh, the the show. Because uh, one thing I like about Neil Gaiman, from audiobooks to live action, he kind of keeps the same cast. Like mm-hmm. in uh, Good Omens, they, there was a character, Agnes Nutter, who was a, uh, you know, she could see the, she could uh, tell the future. She had this book of uh, nice and accurate prophecies. It was the same same actress from the audiobook and the live action. So that's what I quite like about. Uh, Neil Gaiman's work is he can he keeps the cast going, and there's I think there's some crossover from the the audiobooks to the TV show, and it would be quite cool to uh, see what that is in future seasons. But yeah, I'd highly recommend the audiobooks. Like a really really big cast. Yeah. Bill Nye's in there. Uh, I, I James the McAvoy the... plays Morpheus. Yeah. Cat uh, Dennings is Death. Yeah, Ooh. really good. So Brian Cox was in the second one as well as John Lithgow. Like, yeah, they they show up. They play uh, John Lithgow plays a. I think he plays a king or something like that that masquerades as a pauper. Mm. He plays. Uh, he's got his own kind of version of the general. I can't remember who Brian Cox plays, but I know he's in there. Uh, Kevin Smith shows up for a bit. Uh, like I said, Bill Nye, David Tennant, uh, Michael Sheen is Lucifer, who's just really really good. He he kind of does a David Bowie type of voice. Because right. cool. I saw it was on there and I'm like, okay, if it's good, I'll actually listen to it. Because I also have a Audible account, so I can grab the, a couple extra credits and buy that series. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it. There's two parts out just now, and I think third part is coming out soon. I know Neil Gaiman tweeted about that a while ago. Hmm, so, okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Definitely a good listen. Yeah, the, the show is good as well. I like it. It's a, it's a very kind of high fantasy um I mean, it's, it, the one thing I noticed is it, the show made a lot more sense when I realised that I think Neil Gaiman loves the th- like the idea of storytelling and writing. That I think he views that as being sacred, and the ideas, storytelling, and dreams mean a lot to him. Um, yeah, I, I've never read anything he's written, but I get the sense that he loves a writer because um, one of the, the characters shows up is a writer, he's a professor. Of uh, like literature, um, for the it's like the last episode, Dream of Dream of a Thousand Cats, uh, slash Calliope. Yeah. yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, but that that character 
is very interesting and that is probably like when when someone writes in a writer you know okay that means something like i pick up on that as a it's, it's an interesting very i would say, i was gonna say morally dubious but he's, he's actually just a piece of shit character like he he traps uh, a muse like a, a greek muse who's been stuck yeah. with a previous mentor of his for like 50 years or something like that and he's now using her to try and get inspiration for his new book I, I like the um there's a lot in there in terms of a concept idea that there's the dream world there's the other universe but um not only do these characters live separate lives where like humans are basically inconsequential but the idea that they have relationships and stuff like the idea that the god of dreams dated a muse and I'm like okay i can see why that would work like they were they were in a relationship they had a love affair or whatever and it ended horribly and i'm like that's interesting that's an interesting like that shows there's a bit more depth to your world than you know a standard fantasy setting. I think I picked up all of that from like stuff like Supernatural, where yeah. there's like the other world on that exists just beneath your world, and it has its own rules and regulations and uh, ideas and uh, morals and stuff like that, and it just happens to collide with human world. And typically, humans get torn to pieces. I mean, yeah, it's like good casting, good acting. Um, I I've made some enemies on this one. It's a joke I've told a few people, but the guy playing Dream, it reminds me of like. Robert Patterson in Twilight, but he's an actually enjoyable character instead of being a, a moody little bitch all the time. But there's something about this kind of like his style, his like skinny jeans, the emo haircut and stuff. It just reminds me very much of that generation of movie stars. But it works very well, and he's a good actor. So I'm okay, I'll let it slide. Um, yeah, Tom Sturridge kind of actually shit out of uh, Morpheus, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but. Uh, just because I've been listening, when I when I first started listening to the audiobooks, I was like, okay, this whole Sandman uh, universe just sounds kind of interesting. So I went, I looked into it, and each character, oh, it's quite a few of the characters are based on real life uh, people. Like uh, Morpheus is very much based on early Robert Smith from The Cure. Right, uh, yeah, Lucifer is based on David Bowie. And Neil Gaiman said, uh, "If a junkie angel was to ever exist, mm-hmm. it would it would probably look like David Bowie. That's why Lucifer looks at like David Bowie, and you know that's why they have that kind of blonde mop hair, and that's why there's always described as quite androgynous because mm-hmm. well, Lucifer itself doesn't really have a gender in any you know fiction, but in this one there is no gender. So to see Morpheus still kind of somewhat look like Robert Smith, but not as." you know, mad mental hair, there's a bit more of a structure to him. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was sticking to Neil Gaiman's original design, but just kind of updating a bit. Yeah, and he gets better as time goes on, because when he starts off, he's just a guy in a bubble, and he's, not even a guy, he's, he's, a, he's a being in a bubble. He's very not human, but he's obviously growing throughout time. Um, As he starts to enter, like, within the bubble, he stuck, he stuck there for like a century, I think it is. And he's by stuck the, there for, yeah, about 100 years. Um, and it's like he's very inhospitable, I guess is maybe the right term for it. But he's just a, he's just so cut off and doesn't actually communicate with anyone. He is obviously very kind of angry at being trapped, and is just going to murder everyone. You can see him building up the rage for like centuries as he's sitting there going, "I am going to kill everyone when I get out of here." <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I like that towards the end, like he meets Sandman, and it's like a little kid who's making pretend that he's a superhero using like the powers of the dreaming universe 
he's like throwing sand about the place going i'm the sandman and like morpheus or dream meets him and, he, and the kid goes what are you doing i'm the sandman and morpheus is kind of like okay that's cute that's adorable <laughs> yeah but like him from 10 episodes ago would not do that he would have yeah him from, him from the start of the over. series would have just snapped them yeah <laughs> there would just be a dead child like 30 seconds later <laughs> um corinthian is fucking terrifying yeah the corinthian's pretty cool yeah it's a very interesting design and it took me a moment to recognize that it's there's teeth in his eyes yeah i didn't catch that at first but it's ugh, very just uh, i mean you realize that the eyes aren't just for form they're for function as well they actually work <laughs> i saw it and i'm like oh his eyes are gonna eat someone else's eyes aren't they oh no <laughs> and when you see that scene you're like which mouth is he eating those eyes with oh, oh no <laughs> I, I i was watching it going i i, I hate I, at some point i'm gonna just have to like not look at him <laughs> just i'm gonna just kind of oh and <laughs> stop looking at the screen but it wasn't that bad it was okay yeah. but it's, it's very well acted and it's very very sinister and he's very good at just appearing and being like hi i know everything about you you know me, but we'll figure that one out won't we and the idea that he yeah. he builds a cult of serum i like that kind of the way that he's very fucked up in a way, um, and it's, he gets told off, hey, you shouldn't have done this, you did the wrong thing here. But the idea yeah. that he actually started, he's making chaos while he can because he thinks he can get. I like Lucien, the librarian. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea that there was a character who, as the world was falling apart, the dream universe was falling apart because Morpheus is stuck in, on Earth. And she's like, I'm going to try and keep the lights on. I like that character. I like that idea that someone would try and do that, and she's very good at acting that one out. Uh, but the idea that she... And it, it, I like that it, it comes back to kind of bite her in the ass a little bit later on. That she, she's so used to just making decisions that when she makes the decision, Dream disagrees with. Yeah. They have an argument about it. And, like, it's not like a big whole blow-up. It's just kind of like... It's a little bit of a kind of slap-on-the-wrist situation. But it was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. She does... She does kind of overstep her bounds, but then... You know, the new version of Dream just kind of says, I understand I wasn't here. And even when he says that, it's kind of the, through the teeth. It's like, I understand I wasn't here. Yeah. Can't hold you accountable for this. It's it's a very good, the boss's apology. Like, it's not really an apology. It's just the boss trying to get things back together again. I like it. But, um... Yeah. Favourite character... Just try to hold the place down. Aye. Favourite character is definitely David Thewlis as Dr. Destiny. Yeah. John D. Yeah. An interesting character that he's he's clearly insane. <laughs> yeah, and like in all this, like the concept of dreaming is a character in the show, but at the same time, the scariest thing on the planet is just him with a stone, a magic stone, yeah. and you're like, oh no, what's a crazy person going to do with it? That episode was tense as fuck, and it was brilliant to watch. The fact that you then get, uh, I think that's episode three, episode two or three. And then after that, you get the episode with death. I was like, okay, this is a kind of a nice breather. Like, it's weird to think that the episode with all about death and accepting death and death's role in the universe mm-hmm. is infinitely calmer and more serene than an episode about just six or seven people in a diner. Yeah. I, I like the way that he was obviously sociopathic to the point where he's willing to basically crush six people together and like just kind of... It's like he wanted to try and figure out how to make a thing but didn't know how to actually manufacture it, so he just started shoving things together. When it didn't work, he just shoved harder to make yeah. things happen, to make the arguments, to make the, the collisions between different people and to force them to reveal their true selves. And it's like, oh, shit. And it ends messy. Um, I think yeah, that, like, Very, very messy. Yeah. 
when that guy gets stabbed in the neck. Oh my god. <laughs> it comes almost out of nowhere. But you can see why it happened. But at the same time, you see the panic on everyone's face. I, I might go back and rewatch that episode because I did enjoy it. It's a very good like yeah. kind of bubble episode. But uh, second yeah, place for me, my favorite episode was absolutely the death episode. I just thought that was a you know for all the depictions of death that we see, I thought that was a really nice change of pace. For example, uh, I rewatched Castlevania, mm. death in that universe and death in the Sandman universe couldn't be more different. I uh I really like Stephen Fry as Gilbert. Uh, Fiddler's Green. Yeah, uh, we'll reveal at the end to be Fiddler's Green. Which comes kind of out of nowhere, but at the same time, I, I do enjoy it. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of knew because like, the minute he introduced himself as Gilbert, I'm like, oh, shit, I know who he is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his character is really good. I like, I, I just enjoy seeing Stephen Fry and stuff because, you know, we grew up watching QI. He's and yeah. uh, Blackadder and stuff like that. So he's he's the quintessential gentleman in a sense. Um, and then it comes up here and he's just, he's the perfect, charming, proper Englishman. And you're like, this is just adorable. I fucking yeah. love seeing him and stuff. And when you consider the fact that he retired from acting and, you know, went back on that just to be in Sandman, it's pretty cool. The fact that he just said, yeah, Neil Gaiman wants me in something? Sure, I'm in. He, oh, he asked for me. Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, well, of course I will. Yeah. Think nothing of it, my old being. And you're like, you fucking sweetheart. You, I, This is, we're going to have to explain at some point to kids, like, okay, the Queen died, nobody gave a shit. Stephen Fry died. The nation shut down for a week. <laughs> yeah, it was genuine panic, grieving in the streets. There was, <laughs> there was tears. There was bloodshed. There was just a general outpouring of grief. <laughs> we did not handle it well. We regret nothing. Stephen Fry is a national treasure and deserves to be given a royal funeral, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he comes back to be Gilbert, and it's, it's very charming, and I, I really enjoy it. You know, you miss seeing him and stuff. After seeing that, I went back and watched, like, just highlights of him on QI. Just fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. My own criticism of the show, um, it does get a bit wanky at times. Like, it's a bit up its own ass. I mean, the main example I have is when Dream and Lucifer have a jewel of imagination. Yeah, they have a jewel of wits. I quite like that, just because I, I again, I know where it's headed. And I quite like the character of Lucifer. Yeah, the Lucifer character was interesting, but the... The fact that they start off as being like it's the kind of like the arms race of yeah. uh, things that you can imagine, and it's like I'm I'm a bacteria, well, I'm a toxin, I'm a, I'm a rat, immune to the plague, yeah. and ooh, it it evolves to the point where it goes from like the bacteria to like the the cold void of space, and you're like, yeah, like I am anti-life, destroying everything. And you're like fucking Christ, <laughs> I was so I just I had my head in my hands and was like, this is the cringiest bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm loving the show. But this is some bullshit. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I, I didn't mind all that much, but I, I despair at anyone using the word cringe nowadays because I I was playing D and D not long ago, and uh, I described someone yeah, going into a rage and a bit you know kind of detail. You see them like they tense a bit and their muscles pop out, and one of my players just went, "Oh my god, I just like died from that cringe." Oh no! I was like, I was like okay, your character just explodes. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I, I I just I just I heard I heard the the descriptions of a build and I'm like, and it ends on, um, oh, oh I'm 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 just I was I'm I'm love I'm hope that I am hope I'm hope yeah. and I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's such a silly game. Like if you think about that, if that was a game, 
that you had to play. It should you'd be like, um, you'd start off, and I would just skip the pretense. I'd be like, okay, I am a earthworm, and I'd be like, I am hope. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to bother I mean, with the escalation. It, it was, it was literally minutes. Lucifer giving Morpheus a chance because Lucifer, in the DC universe anyway, is the second strongest being in existence. So yes. Morpheus has got no chance in hell. Gone. Click your fingers. <laughs> there, there was that nice little threat of just kind of, okay, so you won, and you've got what you want. I have a billion demons with me. Who says I'm letting you leave? Oh. <laughs> oh, it's going to go down like that. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a good show. It's I want to see a second season. I hope they do it. Netflix is notorious for shit-canning great shows before they're overdue or before they finish. Um, I hope that we get to see... I mean, obviously you've read the books or you've listened to audiobooks. How much content of this show or of the books have we covered so far? Uh, they're up to the second sort of what they call seasons of the mist i think that's what they're up to right because the last episode is last episode of the main season is him confronting desire so i think they're moving on to actually i think they're almost at what would be volume two so they've still got a couple more books left in volume one okay so we've got plenty so, yeah to go. they've still got the showdown with uh dream and desire which i think goes quite quite poorly so there's still plenty to do. That's fine. Yeah, there's still loads to do. I mean, it's not over by a long shot. So. Still tons there. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird show. I I've had my uh, my brother said he got to like episode four and couldn't get into it, and I'm like, stick it out. It's worth it. Just but like it, the show ramps up at points, but it's the idea that you can. I I expected, uh, David Thewlis's character to be a main foe, like a main opponent. Like he had that kind of that gradual build-up, yeah. and he was done with a lot faster than I thought he was going to be, but it kind of makes sense given that he's mortal and the power scale that's already been shown. Like, he couldn't have lasted long, really, if you think of So, yeah, it's a shame he's gone, but at the same time, like, looking at the the scale of this universe, it leaves a lot of opportunities for good acting and good characters to show up, so I'm just excited to see what happens next. Yes, and it, it'll, be a, it'll be a cool ride anyway, because I know what they're building up to, and uh, well, what would be volume two of the audiobooks? So seeing that would be pretty cool. How who they cast in those roles would be pretty cool. Obviously, I don't want to spoil it going forward, but yeah, you're in for some pretty cool shit. Because mm. we've already had hinted that, that Lucifer's plotting something, and when that comes to fruition, it's not immediately uh, obviously okay. That's what they're doing. But then when you find out, you're like, that is fucking devious. Well, they mentioned the fact that she's considering invading Earth to then go to heaven. Um, so, because I think her, her, di- her description of it is, we're only allowed to operate in hell. What if I just made everything into hell? And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. If yeah. that's going to be the remainder of the story, I'm up for it. Uh, I can hear well, you trying we'll, to think about we'll not see. spoiling it. No, I, I, it's not really what happens at all. They, they don't really make everything into hell. They do something completely different and also still quite, quite effective. Lucifer's path, Lucifer kind of takes a completely different uh, path on this whole thing. Also, I don't think, now that I'm thinking about it, in the comic books, Dream and Desire don't really come to blows, because obviously they find out that uh, Desire created the Dream Vortex, so... Uh, yeah, I think we just had that revealed, towards the end of the show. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's in the comic. Yeah, that's I don't the, think uh, Desire can really... I think they can influence humans, but they can't directly interact with them. Yeah. That's the actor from uh, Cowboy Bebop, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. They were Apparently okay. they pestered. As soon as they found out that Neil Gaiman was doing a live-action Sandman, they just kept peppering them with emails. You know, I'm available. I'll do it. I'll do it for free. <laughs> and then Neil Gaiman just went, sure, give them a shot. Yeah. I like, I like that actor. They, they were one of the highlights of Cowboy Bebop for me. Um, and then just having them show up and be an even weirder character here. Because again, all these characters aren't, most of them aren't human. So they're playing a very good non-human character that looks human. That's, I find that interesting. Uh, we'll see. I hope it gets, it needs yeah. a second season. I can't imagine Netflix stupid enough to drop it there. But I, I think... they're making a season two. Hmm? I know they're making a season two because it was confirmed. Aye. That was confirmed basically at one day. four of season one. Yeah. But I think it was um it's it's based on what you're saying, I think we need a third season at least. And that's where I'm like, oh Netflix, don't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> this it doesn't seem like it's a very expensive show. Well, there's obviously some heavy CGI influence, but at the same time, like it can be dialed back to do more kind of interesting episodes without going all the way into massive CGI green screen effects and all that everywhere. So Hopefully. I know for a fact one episode in the next season is going to be pretty much all CG. Oh. Uh, there's an episode where uh, it's not really giving away spoilers, but Morpheus hosts a banquet in the Dreaming, right. which I'm pretty sure is going to be... Obviously, the set itself won't be, because I know they've built the Dreaming, but yeah, there's going to be a fair amount of CG in, in that episode when they get around to it. Aye. Oh, I really like the animation style for the cats at the start of the the last episode, um, where they're talking about the dream of the thousand cats, and uh, yeah, I, I liked the animation style. I thought it was very good. Yeah, it was a good animation style, but I I really don't like that plotline. It's it's an interesting idea, but at the same time, it, yeah, <laughs> again, it's it's a comic book, but I was just like, okay, the cats actually think that they rule the world, <laughs> but they. I don't know if you've been around cats much, Tom, but they actually do. <laughs> we we bend to the whims a lot more than you think. Yeah, I mean, look at the, there's documentaries about how the internet loves cats. <laughs> I I still want to see. There's one called Roar, and it is a Hollywood acting couple um, who wanted to make a movie with a lot of live animals or live uh, lines, mm. and the documentary they made about just living with 70 tigers is brutal. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone on the cast ended up in the hospital at some point. Everyone in the cast, the crew, and like anyone involved in filming who just showed up ended up in the hospital at some point. Absolute train wreck. But I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, I mean, at certain points you just need to figure out, am I going along for the ride? No matter how dumb it gets, or am I actually invested in this? Yeah, it's like a family. I think it's like a whole like family of... Uh, like. A the father's like a writer or a producer or something like that, and he wanted to make a movie, but decided to just end up owning 70 tigers and a couple of lions and an elephant and stuff like that. And then just like, oh, just film my daily life. <laughs> You're a crazy person putting your family in danger. Stop it. You should do. Get some help. <laughs> well, speaking of help, uh, let's help each other with some recommendations. Uh, elevator pitches just before we wrap up the show. You got anything? Yeah, I actually do have one. Uh, as I messaged you uh, in the 
few weeks between our last episode, I have started watching a whole lot of uh, Super Eye Patch World. Mm-hmm. And I uh, really, really enjoy stuff. His stuff about horror is really, really good. Yeah. And, I'll walk away with a good couple of recommendations every time. Yeah. And that kind of led me down into a rabbit hole of just uh, finding reviews of uh, different horror films, weird horror films. And that led me to this channel, which I've just linked to just now, called Steve Reviews. All right. I see that. And the stuff that he covers is genuinely weird and out there uh, movies like there was a movie a film that he reviewed by uh, Phil Tippett the guy who did animation or clay animation for uh, Star Wars uh, Jurassic Park before they decided to go CG he made a complete stop motion clay animation film called Mad God and yeah. it features some of the weirdest imagery that you will ever see uh, he reviews a film about overfishing and or a film about fishing in North Korea where there's a mackerel that gets caught in a fishing boat and it's basically finding Nemo. This fish gets taken in and it's his point of view from the whole in the aquarium having to watch people, you know, pick up his friends and things like that. And the film is just you think oh that surely the, the protagonist and his friend are going to survive, but within the last 10 minutes of the film, the protagonist and his friend get killed and eaten. And then the bad guy escapes. Right. And this is a kid's film. And this is the kind of stuff that this guy, Steve Reviews, actually goes through in his channel. Uh, Some of his stuff can be a bit long-winded. For example, he did go on for 45 minutes about how Ed Ed Neddy got bad in its last season. Don't agree with that at all. I think Ed Ed Neddy's the greatest cartoon of all time and all of its seasons are fantastic. But uh, there's a ton of stuff that he talks about, a lot of horror films, a lot of cartoons, a lot of games and stuff like that, so I highly recommend Steve Review's channel. And obviously links to all this will be in the show notes and we'll put it out on Twitter as well. Um, well, I've just sent you the trailer for Cyberpunk Edgerunners by uh, Studio Trigger, who I'm yeah. becoming a big fan of. Uh, just the more I watch the stuff, the more I appreciate the art style. But they are making a short series on Netflix based on the uh, CD Projekt Red game, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. But it's called Edge Runners. Uh, the best news for the fans is it's not actually related to the storyline of the video game, so you don't need to play that pile of shit before you actually watch the series. Um, you can just go in and enjoy this. Now, I've linked the Not Safe for Work trailer because it is fucking jaw dropping. Um, Studio Trigger do have a, a love of like cool violence. Um, they do some interesting stuff, but at the same time, they've never done something this gory before. And mm. I just really like the. Um, the, the way that they're handling just the volume of gore that comes out of, like, shooting someone in the face with a shotgun, you know? It's not something I've seen them do before, but the trailer is fantastic. And, like, every time I watch something from Studio Trigger, it's the most Studio Trigger thing I've ever seen in my entire life. That includes them doing Star Wars Visions, where you have Neil Patrick Harris slicing a Star Destroyer in half with a, a rainbow-coloured lightsaber. That was the most Studio Trigger thing I'd ever seen in my entire life, and now this is going to probably top that. So that comes out, the actual show that the trailer is for comes out in the next week or so. Um, I'm going to watch that, and I'll probably talk about it next episode, about the full show. But I think, if nothing else, you should at least watch the Not Safe Work trailer, because it's fun. If you're interested in watching the, the series itself, it drops on the 13th of September, which is next Tuesday. So Yeah, and I'm not lying, I'm off Tuesday, Wednesday. That is getting watched as fast as human. Hopefully, as well, we get a... Because well, based on the art style, it is that very kind of Studio Trigger art style, but I hope... We get to see a Blu-ray of this because I'd love to just have it. But again, it's a Netflix property, so who knows? 
Yeah. Um, they're not good at doing uh, Blu-ray or DVD adaptations for the, the stuff, even though they... Why, why put it out on Blu-ray when, when they can just keep you subscribed and make you watch it over and over again? But I think that does it for today's episode. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so on Twitter at Jibberfish, or you can reach out to us with uh, the email of Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking Jibberfish. <laughs>